0: Bom dia
1: Bloomberg Technology coming up in the next hour. Elon Musk teases his plans for Twitter. The billionaire wants to take the social platform beyond a town square and create what he's calling X, the everything app. What does he mean? We'll discuss. Plus, Facebook whistleblower Frances Haugen joins me one year after her fiery testimony on Capitol Hill. We'll talk about what's changed, what hasn't, and what stayed the same. And is the blockchain the answer to get everyday people to invest in private markets? One fund's plans to tokenize its investments could open the door to the masses. We're going to get to all of that in a moment. But first, I want to get a look at the markets and bring in Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow, who's been watching it all, but especially Tesla. And Twitter, Ed. Take it away.
2: Yeah, I mean, Tesla was certainly one of the big laggards during Wednesday's session. It was a bizarre markets day. The board behind me doesn't really do it justice. You see, the Nasdaq 100 basically flat. Weird. Been seriously down in the market, snapping that kind of two day rally we started the week with. Then there was a late comeback, and then right at the death row, oh, we gave up and we're down to about a tenth of 1%. The outperformer was semiconductors, as we saw still some movement in yields and concern there, Bitcoin kind of around $20,000 per token. The story is. Good economic data is bad news for the market, especially when we think about tech. We had ADB data that shows U.S. companies adding 208,000 jobs in the month of September. That's a sign that demand from workers remains healthy. You had San Francisco Fed, where you are, Mary Daly, in an interview with Bloomberg's Mike McKee, saying that the bar is really high to bring down the pace of policy tightening. All of this gets us thinking about rates. Why do we care? Because higher rates discount the present value of future profits for tech companies with stretched multiples. As I said, in terms of specific movers, actually, a number of names on the Nasdaq 100 were in the green, but Tesla was the notable underperformer. There's two ideas here. One, Elon Musk will have to at some point sell Tesla stock to fund a portion of the equity financing to buy Twitter if he indeed does proceed with that deal which we'll discuss in the show. And two, key man risk. He's the CEO of Tesla, the CEO of SpaceX. If he becomes the CEO of Twitter, this is a really busy guy. He's gonna be distracted, and there's some concern in the market on that front as well. Twitter down a little softer, but a massive jump Tuesday, right? And there are some on the street that are cautious. We don't know what's gonna happen, and I think we have a long way to go.
1: Likely, Ed, whenever Elon Musk is involved. Okay, thank you. I wanna get back to our top story Musk's about face, agreeing to buy Twitter at the original price, but the judge in the Twitter trial saying, Show will go on. For now, let's break it all down with Bloomberg Sarah Fryer. So from a legal perspective, Sarah, Twitter hasn't dropped its lawsuit. They're still going to court as of now on October 17th,
3: right? Well, we we know that the parties are meeting today. We know that Twitter is talking with Elon Musk. But yeah, I mean they they have not said, "Sure, we we trust that this offer that you've made is is legitimate and we will do this." Um, we haven't seen any joint statement. We haven't seen any end to the saga yet. I, I think we're still staying tuned for for what they might decide. And, and hey, if they don't come to an agreement, um, then we might see Musk deposed in the next couple of days, and we might see um, this go to court as scheduled on October 17th.
1: Our understanding is that Twitter could ask the court to provide a consent judgment, if you will, and, uh, you know, create an agreement between the court and Twitter and Musk, not just between Twitter and Musk, uh, that would be enforceable in a court of law. We are getting a glimpse into his vision for the social media platform. What do you make of this X the everything app thing? What does he mean by that?
3: You know, he's talked a few times about the idea of having an app in the U.S. that would compete with the likes of WeChat in China. Um, I think we've, we've seen this ambition before. We've seen this from Mark Zuckerberg. We've seen this from Evan Spiegel. Nobody's quite pulled it off. So he's talking about an everything app. Um, I think that that is, is a, a big ambition of a lot of folks. It's just the Internet. um may not work the same way here we'll have to see
1: meantime you've been doing some math and i believe the calculation is if elon musk gets rid of all the bots and spam on twitter he might lose 13 and a half million followers on his own
3: yeah i think i think a lot of people will lose followers listen and it really depends on, on what you think of as a bot. There are a lot of automated accounts on Twitter that, that people love, like such as ones that tell you when an earthquake has happened. Um, I, I don't think that that's what Elon Musk is, is talking about. Um, his account in particular tends to be disproportionately affected by folks who want to, to take his identity to try to, to do crypto scams, for instance. So I think that... Um, that those celebrity accounts um, do tend to be more overrun by bots. And if you were to get rid of that kind of of account on Twitter, it would would affect the biggest names like Elon Musk, like Justin Bieber, um, especially the longest standing accounts on Twitter.
1: All right. Well, interesting that we're starting to see his vision take more shape, of course, if this deal does indeed go through. Bloomberg Sarah Freya, thank you as always. Coming up, exactly one year ago today, Facebook whistleblower Frances Haugen was testifying before Congress. How much progress has been made? How much has not happened? She joins me next. This is Bloomberg.
4: They can't protect us from the harms that they know exist in their own system because it is causing um, teenagers to be exposed to more anorexia content. It is pulling families apart. And in places like Ethiopia, it's literally fanning ethnic violence.
1: One year ago, former Facebook employee Frances Haugen shook Silicon Valley and the world when she blew the whistle on Facebook. She turned over tens of thousands of internal documents from the social networking giant to the media and the SEC. The Facebook papers, as they've come to be known, contain disturbing facts about the effects that social media platforms, including Instagram, were having on teens and kids. After testifying before U.S. Congress, she went on to speak around the world.
4: And the question is, what is Facebook doing to amplify or, or expand hate? What is it doing to amplify or expand ethnic violence?
5: You're right. I mean, Facebook didn't invent hate. But do you think it's making hate worse?
1: Unquestionably, it's making hate worse. So in the last year, what has changed? What's improved? And what's left to do? Former Facebook employee turned whistleblower Francis Haugen joins me now. Francis, thank you so much for joining us. It is one year to the day since you testified before US Congress. And I'm so curious what you feel has changed for the better since then. Mm-hmm. And how much work is there still left to do? You know, in some really
4: basic ways, um, Facebook has changed substantially. Right, So Facebook had 10 years to release parental controls for Instagram, and it never got around to it and, until after my disclosures came out. Uh, there are other things, like Facebook has never had any public programs around trying to be more inclusive on its languages, and they launched something called No Language Left Behind, um, which is still only a, you know, a drop in the bucket, but at least they're trying. Um, internationally, we've seen some amazing progress legislatively. So uh, there's a law called the Digital Services Act, which is the first law that has ever required uh, the major platforms to disclose what risks they have. Like, actually, they would have had to disclose the risks to kids, for example, had this law been passed before. That finally got across the finish line in Europe after a four or uh, five-year push. The information my disclosures was credited with giving the the last gas in the tank to get across the finish line. So some things have
1: changed, but we still have a lot more work to do. Facebook has also changed its name to Meta, made this big pivot to the metaverse. What are your biggest concerns about the new Meta today? The way that we
4: got here with Facebook was because of a set of incentives and, and a lack of oversight. Those incentives have not meaningfully changed. Facebook is still a private company. It's still driven to have to increase usage, increase profits quarter after quarter we Facebook said at in its initial launch of the metaverse we're going to do safety by design up front but from what we've seen over the last you know last year um, is that they're repeating the same problems that they had with Facebook that the first time they let journalists into the metaverse immediately women started getting groped why didn't they talk to some women beforehand on like what might be dangerous that, that, that they could face in a, a space like this so we need to see meta actively engaging with the public, engaging with experts, and, and saying, let's design for safety from the start.
1: So they just said today they're going to ask users for more direct feedback on that, what they'd like to see in their mm. feed, their algorithm. Is that a good, is that a positive step in your view? That's it. In, in my opinion, there's a lot of ways to do this that would
4: have huge opportunities for change. Many people know of kids who struggle with mental health issues, eating disorders. Um, Part of what happens is Facebook's algorithms have a tendency to push people towards more extreme content. You know, you might start with something like healthy eating and get pushed to pro-anorexia content. Imagine a world where a kid who's trying to fight against these things, who knows this is a negative uh, influence on them, Imagine if Facebook actually said, hey, we noticed you're looking at a lot of content that other users have said makes them feel blue. Do you want to keep looking at it? Imagine if we had that ability to influence our feeds. Probably a lot of kids would be a lot healthier today.
1: Interestingly, he told Joe Rogan this story about how he rejected the idea of an angry emoji and then said he wasn't here to design a service that makes people more angry. Do you think that's a little bit of revisionist history?
4: It's interesting. So uh, when you look at the documents around emojis, the reason why they added them was they wanted people to, um, people felt bad putting like a thumbs up on something that made them really angry. They don't want to be shown as endorsing that idea. It's one of these things where uh, Facebook didn't think about the unanticipated consequences of some of these design decisions. When you make an avenue where you do actively solicit more anger, you're going to get more angry content. So I, I haven't seen anything in the document saying that Mark said, say no to the angry face. Um, and I. I, I but I, I can imagine that he wishes he had now.
1: Hmm. Now, you testified that only Mark Zuckerberg was holding Mark Zuckerberg accountable. And I'm curious what you think mm-hmm. of Sheryl Sandberg's departure after 14 years. Do you think her leaving mm. will change the internal culture? Uh, and if so, mm. how?
4: So, I have a, so, so the fact that Mark remains, I think, is the much more significant issue than Sheryl leaving. You know, Mark has surrounded himself with people who tell him the same kinds of stories over and over again. You know, Facebook is just a mirror. It doesn't have responsibility. All these things that we're complaining about have always been present. We're just showing them to people. We don't We don't play any role in this. We have no power. And Cheryl was a voice inside the company who said, hey, we have to get in front of issues. We can't just be reactive. Like, we can't wait for another story to leak. We can't wait for, you know, another UN report saying we caused an ethnic violence incident, um, like what happened with Myanmar. Um, I worry that because we don't have Cheryl's voice inside of the company, that the number of, of senior leaders who raise these issues has, has gone down in a meaningful way.
1: Hmm. Elections are coming up. What are you watching? What's your take on how Meta is handling uh, this new election so far?
4: I'm deeply concerned about the upcoming election. Uh, other news sources, I believe the New York Times, have reported on how Facebook shrunk their election team from around 300 people to 60 people uh, later earlier this year. That's a huge deal. When I was at Facebook, I watched, I, I worked in threat intelligence for the last eight months I was in the company. And I watched them catch over and over again things like Russian influence operations. There are a number of foreign nations, Russia, China, Iran, uh, even smaller countries that know that as an open society, as these un- unregulated, um, underinvested in platforms show, like there's ways that they can go in there and manipulate our elections. And before Facebook was really trying, they were giving, they were giving maybe, perhaps not the best they could do, but they were really, really trying to, to blunt those edges. And I can't imagine that they can do an effective job with 80% fewer people protecting our elections.
1: I know you've been talking to lawmakers. We've got the American Innovation and, o- and Choice Online Act from uh, Senators Klobuchar and Grassley. Mm-hmm. You've got Lena Kahn being more aggressive at the FTC. You have the, the Supreme Court looking at Section 230. What is one way the law could change to have the most dramatic, potentially positive impact on big tech in your view?
4: I'm a strong advocate for the, the platform, accountab- platform Accountability and Transparency Act um, uh, because uh, right now we can't see behind the curtain of social media. We were able to push for safety features in cars or found in the Department of Transportation, you know, reducing the fatality rate from autom- automobile accidents by effectively three and a half times. Because we could actually control cars, you know, we could crash test them, we could take them apart, we could understand how they were built and what, what shortcuts have been made. Right now, we can't do any of those things with social media. We can't crash test it. We can't confirm how it could be safer. So we don't know what to demand. So the, I, I hope they pass PADA in addition to Amy Klobuchar's bill.
1: All right, uh, we're gonna continue this conversation after a quick break. Former Facebook employee turned whistleblower Francis Haugen, stay with us. I wanna hear so much more and especially wanna hear your thoughts on Elon Musk potentially taking over Twitter. We'll be right back in a moment. This is Bloomberg. Our conversation now with former facebook employee turned whistleblower francis haugen francis i want to get your thoughts on of course the biggest news rocking social media that is elon musk saying he'll take over twitter after all what are the risks in your view of the world's richest man owning such an influential communications platform
4: The fact that Elon Musk can make a decision to buy one of our public spaces um, and be able to unilaterally make that decision really shows us how vulnerable we are right now in listing critical pieces of civic infrastructure to private corporations. Now, they're not, even though they functionally work as large parts of our information ecosystem, we have no ability to influence them. They can be bought and sold by anyone who has the money. Um, so I think they're a great illustration of how we've really put a lot of trust and a lot of um, uh, responsibility into the hands of of a private company.
1: He could own Twitter in a matter of days, right before mm-hmm. a midterm election. He has said he wants to reinstate former President Trump. What are your biggest concerns about that and and his approach to quote-unquote, free speech in general? Hmm.
4: So I think there's some big opportunities with regard to how Elon Musk is approaching safety. So the fact that he came out across, uh, like straight off the bat and said, we need to be worried about bots, means he's talking to someone, he's at least talking to some people who know what they're talking about. Because the number one threat to our elections are bots. You know, there are large influence operations that act as amplifiers for, them, for whoever owns those networks. And often in the case, that's foreign, foreign organizations uh, like Russia, China, um, Iran. The fact that he's stepping in before the election is a big opportunity. At the same time, I hope he takes time to listen to the security and trust, uh, trust and safety professionals inside of Twitter, because every single social network is different. And they all have their own quirks and their own struggles. And so I hope he takes the time to really understand what what those teams have done over time so that we don't disrupt things before the election.
1: Now, according to the SEC, uh, and the information also did a big piece on this, and you, there's been a huge spike in the number of whistleblowers that have come forward since you came forward. One of them is Peter Zatko, a former Twitter employee, Mm -hmm. who talked about the egregious... Um, uh, egregious flaws in Twitter's own security. What do you make of the rise uh, in these whistleblowers and the role that they can play in providing transparency where Congress has failed to regulate? Hmm.
4: There's the, if, if, if viewers take away only one thing today from the time that we spent together, it's the idea that more and more of our economy is driven by opaque systems now. So you know, back when we uh, had a, a more industrial-oriented economy, you know, you could buy the products of those factories. You could interview uh, workers who worked in those factories and understand what was happening. But now we have more and more systems where the important details all live on data centers. You know, all we get to see is our own screens. We're limited in understanding how these systems work or like what choices were made. What are the consequences? whistleblowers are only going to become more and more important because uh, in the case of things like trust and safety online, you know, there are no academic classes you can take in this today. You know, there's like a few on content moderation at places like Stanford, but that's about it. We're reliant on professionals like like, like Peter um, to understand what the limitations are in these things. They're our first line of defense and we need to be protecting them.
1: What do you think of TikTok? Is there a unique threat posed by TikTok in particular? I'm particularly
4: concerned about TikTok because TikTok uh, is intentionally designed to be manipulated. You know, it's a system that originally originated in China, um, with the and it's a system that's it's architected from the beginning with controlling what messages are distributed. There are it's there are famous. Um, uh, When you, there are control rooms you can go into where you can see the most important, uh, most popular content on TikTok. And there have been scandals where things like if you were visibly gay or visibly disabled, your videos got taken down. We should be deeply concerned that uh, this is a Chinese company. You know, let's say China invaded Taiwan, I guarantee you we would not see any pro Taiwanese messages going across TikTok. And because it's designed to be incredibly sticky, be incredibly addictive, like you can't passively watch TikTok, like it pulls you and you have to engage in order to get the next video. There's like a little hit of dopamine over and over again. You know, it, it draws kids, kids in. And, and, and so I, I, I strongly encourage us to look at, do we want to have China having so much influence over our, if our information environment, particularly for our children?
1: Now I know you've been on a year of uh, public speaking engagements, testifying before other governments. You also moved to Puerto Rico. You got married. No, I you moved. I moved two years a new ago. Nonprofit. I moved two years ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> two years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so you were in Puerto Rico. Um, you yeah. launched uh, this new nonprofit, Beyond the Screen. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about mm-hmm. how. How has your life changed since becoming a whistleblower, quote unquote? And do you have any regrets?
4: Hmm. Interesting. I think the biggest way in which my life has changed is, is, you know, I can, I can sleep at night, you know, like before I came out, um, I think anyone who's ever had to hold a secret where you thought, uh, other people's lives were on the line knows how hard that is. And, you know, I, I. I, I had uh, uh, I had to get a new passport right about the time I left Facebook. And I had to get a new driver's license this year because I had lost my driver's license. And I looked at those two photos, and I was like, oh, my goodness, I aged backwards 10 years. Like, that's not how it's supposed to work. Um, and so uh, I, I have been so grateful for the experience over the last year because I know how few public figures that are women um, uh, have easy lives online, and like I have open DMs on Twitter or Instagram, and and no one harasses me. You know, I've 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 only felt mm. supported, and I'm I'm so grateful um, to be able to give people hope about the idea that we can change social media. You know, we, we we're going to figure out how to do this, and we can do it together.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for obviously sharing your story with us. Uh, everybody check out Beyond the Screen, uh, Francis Halgen's new nonprofit. Um, Francis, thank you for taking the time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Coming up. Have a great day. On <laughs> who else but Elon Musk who wants to make Twitter an everything app? What does that really mean? How does it compare to other super apps? We'll discuss. This is Bloomberg. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. Elon Musk wants to turn Twitter into the Everything app. Here to explain what that might mean are Ed Ludlow. So, Ed, what kind of clues do we have about what he's really talking about here?
2: Yeah, you know, we have clues. And shameless plug, I kind of put a piece out on Twitter this morning about some of the things Musk has talked about changing. We're certainly at a stage where there's more questions than answers, right? You see that reflected in equity markets. You know, Twitter was down after a ginormous gain 24 hours ago, Tesla down on concern. Musk will have to sell down Tesla stock to fund this deal that he's distracted. But there's this idea of X, the everything app, and you know what Musk has talked about in the past on stage and tweets is growing Twitter from a user base of around 240 million currently to 1 billion, and I think a lot of the street are looking for signs of what that means. If we bring up this chart and look at sort of Twitter's revenue growth relative to Tesla, Twitter's growth has been underwhelming, right? And there is hope that Musk can inject. Some new ideas for Twitter itself that's about opening up the algorithm, open sourcing it, about dealing with the bots' issues, having a time limited edit button. But he's also talked about this idea that Twitter can be a one stop shop for other things, more video functionality, making it more akin perhaps to a WeChat in Asia. You know, there's many more users in China alone using WeChat and various functionality on it than are using Twitter globally so i think there's a lot of optimism that you can do that but i go back to the discussion we discovered between dorsey and musk in those court filings and the texts that were released as part of discovery they want to enact changes and they felt that the only way to do that was to take the company private there's optimism on the street that will happen And there's also optimism from the sales side that Musk will unlock the new functionality that will help Twitter's user base grow, but also help its top line growth as well. The kind of wild card, Musk isn't interested in an ad-based model. He wants to kind of move away from that and monetize in other ways. So it's going to be really interesting. But again, let's take a reality check, M. I think we're a long way away from knowing (laughs) what's going on. Am I going to Delaware? Are you going to Delaware? Nobody knows.
1: We do not know. And boy, would I love to know if you and I are going to be in Delaware in two weeks. OK, thank you. And uh, I want to dig into this a little further with Lead Edge Capital founding partner Mitchell Green. Mitch, you know, I know you're an investor in Uber, which has aspired to this sort of super app idea. We've seen Tencent really succeed at it. What do you make of Elon Musk's idea to try to turn Twitter into an everything app?
6: Luck, um it's hard um there hasn't you look we we're not we so we don't own uber anymore but we do own ByteDance, dance which obviously owns the the very popular tick tock app um we do all we, we were early investors in alibaba group which is obviously uh and then as well as ant financial which has built a super app um i think he's got his work cut out to him but we're, but we're sure going to talk about it and then three to five years, we're going to know, you know, did it work? Look, Elon is a I totally agree that he can't accomplish this. What he wants to try to do is a public company. I'm Sure. I'm sure it's not having not spent a ton of time looking at Twitter. I'm sure it's not the most efficiently run business. I'm sure there's tons of ways he can fix it. It will take a lot of time. He's amazing at sending rockets into space and he proved the world wrong, um, you know, with, with his car business. He obviously started his career in payments. Um, time will tell if it uh, if, if he's successful in turning around Twitter. I think he's, it's 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 a very um, tall order, uh, and it's not like Facebook and Byte Dance are going to sit around doing nothing while they're while you know while he
7: tries to do it. So,
1: uh, from a bigger picture, you know, I find it interesting that we could potentially see this massive deal you know, him buying Twitter for $44 billion happen in the middle of, you know, potentially, you know, a a drop into a recession. We also saw Adobe agree to buy Figma for uh, $20 billion. And we're waiting for this big Microsoft Activision deal. What do you think about how the M&A landscape is keeping up pace despite the fact that the economy is so bad?
6: Well, Uh, It's it's a great question. Um, Corporates around the world have, you know, and these tech corporates, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, have, you know, Alibaba, Tencent, have ginormous sums of cash. Um, By the way, Oracle, you could add in there, SAP, you could add in there. At some point, I think we're going to wake up over the next 12 to 15, 18 months and there's going to be a heck of a lot more M&A than we've seen in a long time. I don't know when it's going to happen. Maybe I don't think it's starting yet. I also think you're going to see a wave of buyout activity, too. Um, The problem, I think, where the the, the LBO fund activity, private equity fund activity right now is pretty slow, and you've seen busted deals um, just because the credit markets are not in good shape. Um, just related, you know, like there's a huge backlog. There's a huge, uh, we're not credit investors, but there is a huge like log jam right now with the Citrix deal within these banks are going to take ginormous losses on them. Um, And so like the credit markets for a lot of this activity is super slow. So like, I don't know how much leverage that Twitter is going to take in this buyout and things like that, but like, anything that requires lots of. And I think that's why you're seeing spreads on lots of potential deals like trade pretty wide because the credit markets are so uncertain right now. Now that is an impact. strategic. So let's talk obviously. about.
1: OK. Let's talk in a little bit about uh, vent- venture and the private markets. Venture firms seem to have a lot of dry powder that is piling up. Um, And not a lot of places to put it. Some folks have told us they're waiting for valuations to go down before they deploy anything. Of course, there are a lot of companies um, struggling, and suddenly their balance sheets don't look so attractive to investors. What are you seeing? Uh, How are you evolving your strategy as macroeconomic concerns remain?
6: Sure. So, like... Mac, good economy, bad economy. I think nobody knows where the economy is going. I read an ISI survey that said like 90% of investors think that there's going to be a recession in 2023. The crowd is usually wrong. It's not like we were all sitting around in February of 23. You know, sorry, in February of 20 thinking, you know, COVID was going to happen a month later or in August of 08. Like, oh, the world's about to end because Lehman Brothers is about to blow up. Like, who knows? like I, the crowd is usually wrong, by the way, I'm probably myself in the crowd. Um, in terms of like the venture landscape or growth equity landscape right now, and I think you could you can expand it to private equity landscape or real estate asset landscape, this, it, it specifically in like venture, and like if, if you're thinking like, hey, companies with 15 million of revenue to 100 million of revenue that are software and internet or FinTech businesses, there's just a too big a spread between what the buyer wants and what like a private equity or venture fund is going to pay because it's driven by public markets. And in companies right now, for the most part, and, and I think and the spread has already started to come down. Like It's definitely tightened up from today where it was six months ago you just have to make the assumption that private markets lead public markets, Sorry, public markets lead private markets. And as a result, like tons of companies raise money in the back half of 21 and early in 22. And like they raised like two years of money. And so like your company right now that raised still has hundred million plus in the balance sheet. Your last round was probably done at too high a price, but like you don't have to raise money right now. Fast forward a year, you might be in a recession at that point. You have probably burned a bunch of money. We think it's going to take another six to 12 months for a lot of this stuff to work through. And that, you know, the back half of next year in the 24 will be super busy because then a bunch of these companies are going to raise. And those companies that hit or beat their numbers might raise up rounds. Um, but those companies that miss their numbers will probably be raising down rounds. Again, who knows? So Maybe not. Maybe public markets go back up, but if comps stay where they are today, which is kind of near historical averages.
1: So, what advice are you giving your portfolio companies right now?
6: Great question. Don't panic, um, is one thing. Run your business like, you know, keep your best employees, keep your best employees happy, um, you know layoffs are not always bad. Like, you know, some of the greatest companies on earth over a year, over time, have like laid off five to 10% of their people every year. Like GE was like well known for doing it 30 years ago, is trimming. Like All these companies are run with too much fat. Like, every company, on the, every software company that's been funded with venture funding. So what are we telling them? That's a great question. I think we're telling them, look, make sure you're, you've got capital for the next like 18 months. Make sure unit, your unit economics work, so like you, you know you don't need three or four year customer paybacks. You pay back in you know 18 months or under. Um, make but but make sure you're invested in the future. Like don't freak out. Like the great, we're gonna look back in five to 10 years from now, and like great companies will have been created during this time period. And you need to be bold. You just want want to be smart about it and make sure you're not standing on the cliffs. You know with your pants down if the tide goes out.
1: OK. Don't panic. Don't freak out. And don't stand on a cliff with your pants down. Those are all tangible pieces of advice. Mitch. Um, one more question. I'm curious what your thoughts are on the IPO window. It seems to be firmly shut. Does it reopen in, in the next few weeks or before the end of the year or not
6: probably by the end of the year probably not i actually think and, and not enough people are talking about this i think next year if you could get some stability in the markets i think the ipos could be like the future down rounds for lots of companies at scale like if you're like 100 200 million 300 million in revenue mm-hmm. and you raise some money at some crazy price you could do like some structured equity deal but if you're at the size and you're going 30, 40, 50 percent a year, a structured equity can actually be really bad for your early investors, or your early employees, like creates really perverse incentives versus like do what Square did and just go public. And, you know, a few years ago, there were a handful of companies that went public before their last round. Everybody converts into common stock. And like, I don't think entrepreneurs should like feel bad about doing it. And like I think you're going to see over the next couple of years, probably starting next spring or summer, a bunch of companies that go public in flat or down rounds to their last, you know, privately funded round. And like, look, we're all we're all big boys. Like, some of us, probably ourselves included, in some cases, like overpaid for an asset. But like, go public. It's a great way to raise capital. All right,
1: uh, Mitch Green. Thanks for giving it to us straight. As always, uh, appreciate uh, your thoughts on all of this. Thank you. Okay. Coming up, how the blockchain could help everyday people invest in some of the world's most popular private companies in the world. This is Bloomberg. now for our crypto report and today we're covering the so-called tokenization of funds which could potentially expand access to private markets to a broader set of investors. For that,
8: I want to bring in Bloomberg Shanali Bosick. Shanali, take it away. Thank you, Emily. You know, whenever I go around to investment conferences, more and more this gentleman named Carlos Domingo, the CEO of Securitize, is often there. And he is joining us now to talk about this because recently, today really, they announced a deal with Hamilton Lane, recently another deal with KKR. Carlos, when you're talking to these large fund managers, Hamilton Lane alone has more than $800 billion under supervision. How quickly are they starting to look at blockchain as a way to expand their investor base and bring more people into their funds?
5: Hi, Sonali. Thanks for, for hiring me. I think it's been a journey for these asset managers. We started talking to them you know, back in 2018, to some of them like KKR. And you know they've been basically building out the internal capabilities and the knowledge. And at the same time, the industry has evolved as well in terms of you know, making blockchain easier to use, in terms of like you know wallets, performance of the underlying blockchains, et etc. And also more importantly, the regulatory clarity of what does it mean to actually tokenize a fund on the blockchain and who can manage those securities and who has licenses to do that, et cetera. So it's been kind of a journey, but I think at this point in time, And I I think that the fact that KKR and Hamilton Lane, which are two massive private equity firms, have decided to do that, um, I think it it signals an inflection point in the industry where we're going to start seeing massive adoption going
8: forward. So let's take KKR as an example, because an everyday person can't really say, hey, let me put $10,000 into a KKR fund. But now they're making a private equity fund available. Through tokenization, what does that mean? How is it different from a traditional private equity fund? Is there a key separation between that and the normal fund that you would invest in as a large institution?
5: Well, so asset managers, as you said, I think they've they've recognized that you know they've been extremely successful building a um primarily going after institutional investors and ultra high net worth individuals, and that they are, you know, there is a, a. a new breed of investors that are individual investors they are much younger they are digital etc that they don't have access to to those products at all because of the structure of the products is designed for institutions etc so they all recognize that they have to figure out how to reach out to them and i think they see you know blockchain and tokenization as the most if you want modern and advanced way of providing this you know fractional ownership in a very efficient way, being able to track the beneficial ownership of the of the securities, provide you know compliance, asset servicing, uh, etc. So they all that conversation usually is very easy, and I think what boils down later is about how do we do it, uh, etc. The the fund itself is very similar; it's slightly different in the sense that this is a feeder that has a slightly different structure, uh, which we're trying to make it actually more uh, individual investor friendly. So but overall, you should expect that the performance of the tokenized version, you know, very closely tracks the performance of the original private equity
8: mm-hmm.
5: but that was only available for institutions.
8: Now, how much of this was even possible even five or six or seven years ago? How much was this made possible because SEC rules have made it more possible for accredited investors to invest in a wider array of funds?
5: Well, uh, the, the SEC rules uh, to allow for more accessibility to accredited investors haven't really changed significantly. They did some improvements uh, uh, two years ago in terms of who qualifies as an accredited investor. I think what also has happened is that more and more people are accredited investors, right? Because you, you know, the wealth is growing in the in the United States, and today there's around 13.6 million people. Um, that qualify as accredited investors. That's more than 10 percent of the households that collectively manage 75 trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue was that the products that those asset management uh, companies had, they were not accessible to these investors because they're not being served by the current, right. whether wealth management or registered investor advisors. So well, I think that's what the,
8: that. it begs the question: When you're looking at the opportunity to invest in a broader array of alternatives, do you think that crypto? blockchain technology in particular can be used for more of these types of purposes more than they will be used in the in the longer term future for actual tokens.
5: Actually you know if you, if you look at the size of the of the space that we're looking at this is we're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars of real world assets and funds and you know credit and real estate etc that can be tokenized and put into the into the blockchain. So that works. Anything else that you've seen in in more like native digital assets, if you want, like Bitcoin or or Ethereum. So I think that the potential of this becoming the biggest thing in crypto is definitely there.
8: Carlos Domingo, that's the CEO of Securitize. Uh, Looking forward to your next deal. I hope you come back to talk to us about it. Emily?
5: Definitely. Thanks for having me. All
8: right.
1: Shanali, thank you. We'll be right back with more of Bloomberg technology talking about SpaceX's latest mission to the International Space Station. This is Bloomberg. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. SpaceX launching a manned crew of four on a NASA mission to the International Space Station, including a Russian cosmonaut and the first Native American woman to travel to space. Our Ed Ludlow, back with all the details. Ed, what exactly happened today?
2: Yeah, so we're... DEEP INTO A 29-HOUR JOURNEY TO THE INTERNATIONAL SPACE STATION. AS YOU SAID, NICOLE MANN, ONE OF THE CREW MEMBERS, IN FACT, THE CREW COMMANDER, BECOMES THE FIRST NATIVE AMERICAN WOMAN TO GO TO SPACE. SO IT'S A LANDMARK IN THAT RESPECT. SHE IS A MEMBER OF ONE OF THE ROUND VALLEY INDIAN uh, TRIBES HERE IN CALIFORNIA. Um, But there was also a Russian cosmonaut on board. It's the first time SpaceX is carrying a Russian citizen, a Russian cosmonaut from U.S. soil to the ISS. And as you know, and we talked about this week, some of the controversial tweets Elon Musk, who's the CEO of SpaceX, made about the war in Ukraine and about his belief about a a negotiated settlement with Russia. But it's going to take them 29 hours to get there. Talk to me in the next show, and we'll see if they made it safely. But this is a kind of routine operation for SpaceX, right? It's their fifth crew mission, their eighth or ninth um, human flight mission, and you know it takes the crew to two hundred and fifty miles above the Earth.
1: So, how does this fit into then the broader mission and the other things that SpaceX is working on?
2: Yeah, I think you know what SpaceX is really doing in conjunction with NASA. Is ramping up to go beyond the International Space Station, right? You know they're involved in the project more broadly to go to the Moon, but that relies on a different company's rocket, Artemis, and as we know, that is behind schedule. We don't expect SLS and Artemis to launch until about mid-November. You know the next kind of uh, big mission for SpaceX in in kind of advancing human spaceflight is Polaris Dawn, and you know through the Polaris program that they basically are going to push the boundaries of what they're capable of doing in terms of how long and how often humans can go into space but a part of that is contingent on the development of starship and what we're really waiting on from SpaceX is news of when we'll get that orbital test flight of starship because we don't know when that will be
1: and we've talked so much about Tesla uh, and the impact on Tesla with Elon Musk taking over Twitter and less so about SpaceX since it's a private company. But what do we know about how folks at SpaceX feel about Elon Musk taking on another big company?
2: Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, Elon Musk has also been divisive within the ranks at SpaceX, right? There are many employees that do not believe in some of the things he's said and disagree with some of his actions. There is also an element of key man risk. You know, Elon Musk is a hands-on uh, manager and executive at SpaceX in much the same way that he is at Tesla. You know, he often attends some of the key launches. He's often present in Hawthorne where SpaceX is a kind of headquarters and R&D center is. So there is a question, you know, if he takes on Twitter, what does that mean with respect to how he splits his time between those three companies? But as we know, he is a man that spends a lot of time on a private jet, a lot of time on his phone, and doesn't sleep as much as the average human.
1: All right. Uh, indeed, Ed Ludlow, thank you, as always. Uh, we'll be watching for the results of this latest mission. Um, and that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Uh, coming up Thursday, we've got Google Senior Vice President of Devices and Services, Rick Osterloh, at the companies made by Google. Hardware launch event. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg.
9: Any health related information on the following show provides general information only. Content presented on any show by any host or guest should not be substituted for a doctor's advice. Always consult your physician before beginning any new diet, exercise, or treatment program.
10: beautiful people that I love to organic healthy lifestyle and I am Nancy Addison your host and I always start off our show with a prayer and I just ask you to join me in whichever fashion you would like and I ask our divine creator please allow your love for us to extinguish any fear that we may have Enable us to become quiet and focused on your spirit of divine love. Help us to feel the waves of peace washing over us and clearing away any tenseness and anxiety. We rediscover how refreshing it feels to be calm and peaceful. Alone with your spirit, we feel great serenity. We know that we are eternally one with the divine And with the divine with us, we shall fear nothing. We are claiming and declaring your promises and gratefully accept your gifts of strength, fortitude, flexibility, compassion, wisdom, insight, and perfect health. Place in an army of angels to protect us from any, us and our families from any kind of evil and to please bring all injustice to justice now. Bring peace into our souls that passes all worldly understanding and make us a light for others to see your strength. We ask this in the highest good of all concern for everyone listening now and in the future. Thank you. And so it is. And just remember, you are a temple and of the divine so stay strong everybody and we are so blessed to have dr david h janda md join us today and he has pages and pages of all kinds of amazing accomplishments he is a hero of the highest level and courageous in many ways but He he currently hosts the Operation Freedom radio show, which broadcasts every Sunday, but he's also an orthopedic surgeon. He's based up in Michigan, and he is the director of the Institute for Preventative Sports and Medicine, which is the only healthcare cost containment organization of its kind in North America. He was the lead investigator for a series that was published in the Journal of American Medical Association. And the study, completed by Dr. Janda and the research team, realized a 98 reduc- 98% reduction in, in injuries, along with a 99% reduction in health care costs. Based on an independent analysis by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the study translated into a prevention of 1.7 million injuries a year in the United States, with a savings of over $2 billion in acute health care costs per year. He's also the author of The Awakening of a Surgeon and also The Power of Prevention Handbook which chronicles his efforts in the field of preventative medicine. And I could go on and on and on. He's worked in the government. He's um, been uh, on television. He is world-renowned. And we are just so excited to have you on the show today, Dr. Janda. Welcome,
11: well, thank you so very much, Nancy, for having me as a, uh, a guest on your fantastic radio show and platform, and I I appreciate all that you do to educate and empower every person who's willing to listen, and uh, I thank you very much for including me today.
10: Oh, it's my pleasure. Um... You know, things change so dramatically and quickly these days. And sometimes, you know, just things start happening so quickly. And I know you're on top of so many things and so well connected. I would love for you to uh, briefly tell everybody what maybe you think is the most pertinent thing that you're recognizing that we might need to be aware of today. Well,
11: I, I from a healthcare standpoint, if we start there. Okay. I believe that people need to do their own intensive research on whatever the issue might be in healthcare or a healthcare related issue. In addition, that goes beyond healthcare, and I believe it's related to everything we see being reported in the media or on the news or uh, of what people might be speaking about. And the reason why I, I say that is because I believe the level of misinformation, disinformation, and lack of information based on truth and facts and data and science has never been to this to this degree. And in the process, it puts every person, not just in our country, but around the world, in harm's way. And a good example of that, Nancy, is what's occurred over the past three years as it relates to uh, the, the COVID pathogen and what transpired after the pathogen hit our shores. And unfortunately, when misinformation, disinformation, and a withholding of information occurs, people get injured, people get debilitated, and people die. And that, unfortunately, is is not... um, We can't chalk it up to incompetence of the people that we call, or some of us call, leaders, right? This has been willful across the board. Whether we look at the COVID situation, whether we look at what's happening to our education system, whether we look at what's what's happening to our financial system, whether we look at what's happening geopolitically around the world. And and you know, Nancy, I first started the Operation Freedom Radio Show in October of 2010. And that radio show is a little it's 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 a little different than many other shows in a sense that three hours on a Sunday. What I do is I bring people in from behind the curtain, if you will, to speak about what's really happening. Information that people will not get through what I call the bought-off, lamestream, fake media. And the people that I bring forward are either people that are in government, people that were in government, people that were or are in industry, but their message is being... Suppressed. Now, you had mentioned in my introduction that I do uh, and still do a lot of work in prevention related issues. And yeah. what happened with my work in prevention, and it was completely inadvertent, it ended up getting the attention of the then president of the United States, Ronald Reagan, who then asked me to come to Washington and work in healthcare policy. And when I got to Washington, D.C. in the spring of 1988, it was toward the end of his administration, I ended up working with then Surgeon General C. Everett Koop and a number of other people within the Reagan administration. And it was very eye-opening. In some respects, it was very, very positive, all positive, I would say, with President Reagan and the people around him. What happened after President Reagan is something completely different. But over the next 30-some years, I ended up meeting a tremendous number of people from a large number of agencies within our own government. And I, I came to realize that there was essentially a civil war, and has been a civil war going on in our own government, of people that supported freedom and people that supported if you will, a syndicate, you know, the first meeting I had when I was at the White House under President Reagan, one of his assistants came in and spoke to the new people who had been brought in to work on policy, in my case, healthcare policy. And what she said was very interesting. Now, this is the spring of 1988. and What she said was that when you present policy to President Reagan, do not, present policy based on a right-left axis, the Republican-Democrat axis. What she said is President Reagan's philosophy is the right-left axis is all theater, and it is meant to divide and conquer the American population, because as the population becomes divided and focused on each other and, if you will, colliding heads with each other, it allows a group of individuals who are focused on the different axes to take control of the country and potentially the world. And what she said was, President Reagan wants you to focus with your policy initiatives on the up-down axis. Up being freedom and down being oppression. And what she said is, your goal with your policies are to promote freedom and to block anyone and everyone in government and anyone and everyone in private industry that are trying to oppress people. And if you will, uh, take their freedoms and liberties from them. Now, she did not state, she did not say the words deep state or new world order crowd or criminal international banking syndicate or globalist syndicate. She didn't say that, but that's who she was speaking about. And that was 1988. And as the years rolled on, I realized what we were being told by President Reagan's assistant and President Reagan himself was not conspiracy theory, was not conjecture, but was in truth fact. And it's this element within government and within the private sector that focuses on oppression that we now call the deep state or the globalist syndicate or the new world order crowd or the criminal international banking syndicate or the thugocracy, whatever you want to call it, that they are absolutely focused on stripping freedom and liberty from every American and every person of the world. Many people, many people, when I spoke about that, when I, first thing I talked about on the radio, when I, when I got the radio show in October, 2010, many people called the station and said, talk to our, our general manager and said, you know, this Janda guy, okay, well, but, but that's conspiracy theory, what he's talking about. Well, it turns out that over the years, all those folks that admitted to calling the radio station and saying that that was conspiracy theory, all those folks have come back and said, you know what, I thought that was conspiracy theory. But in fact, over the years, everything Janda and his guests have spoken about, about what's really happening, has actually come to fruition. And in fact, what really put people over the top on this is what happened starting in 2019 with COVID, right? Because, it, again, as we have as we have told people for years, the what some people call the mainstream media is a tentacle of the deep state, and their goal is to misinform disinform and keep people uninformed because in so doing it makes the public an easier target for the syndicate to strip people of their freedoms their liberties their lives and our republic
10: it's interesting that that you you said that um i actually grew up down the street from dick cheney Ugh. And in a neighborhood filled with all these types of players of what I call the narcissistic psychopath, Satanist. (laughs) But um, I had a good friend I've known since I was in preschool, whose mother was actually an assistant to President Johnson. And then also worked with President Reagan. And I believe he said she was in the cabinet, but um, not positive on that. But he's been telling me, because of her, that ever since the 80s, that there was a shadow government going on behind the scenes that people weren't aware of. That was undermining our freedom and that, you know, to be aware of that. And then I was uh, secretary of the Earth Society at the U.N., which, you know, is part of this whole scheme with their Agenda 21. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started meeting people in my group who were trying to stop this human trafficking and this pedophilia. And the numbers in the, the horrific events and, and th- situations they were telling about was just mind blowing. And, uh, of course, then they immediately shut down. Uh, our group, the Earth Society, because there were too many people in there that were becoming way too knowledgeable and, and going against their agenda. And they and they put in the Club of Rome in place of us, which, as you might know, is is one of the most evil groups in the world. Absolutely. And um, so I've been on this journey of Uncovering the truth or searching for the truth for a, a very long time, and uh, and so it, it and so many people along the way, you know, do they they look at you and they go, "Are you kidding me?" You know, they would never do that to you. But then I was married to an environmental trial lawyer for twenty-three years who was constantly suing the government for corruption. And I started finding out about how the FDA was taking most of its money from the people they're supposed to be policing. How, you know, like somebody in Monsanto would quit their job, go get a job with the FDA, approve things like glyphosate, which they had actually, you know, faked a lot of the science they gave the FDA. But they approve what should never have been approved then after they get all their work done they are proving what what they wanted to do then they quit that job and go back work for Monsanto and get some unbelievable amount of money I'm guessing as a as a reward but this is the kind of thing that has been going on for i i I guess since World War II and so you know, it's been a real journey opening up my eyes as as really I started investigating as a nutritionist, trying to heal myself from different uh, medical things they did to me all my life. But, you know, you once you know something, you can't not know it. And I, I think so many people are afraid to open their eyes or listen to the truth because it you know, they, they don't want to face the fact that maybe like, you know, a medical doctor friend of mine, I don't think he wants to face the fact that he has spent his whole life working on something that is such such a corrupt system. And so it's, it's you know, it's a, kind of a balancing act between how much people can handle emotionally. But I have to admit, when I started finding out some of these things and you know, listening to The Creature of Jekyll Island by Edward Griffin or reading the book of the Committee of Three Hundred by Joe Coleman, you know, it it really did floor me and it took me a while while to gather myself up and go, Okay, I get it. I get it now. I see the players, you know, there's a bunch of mafia bankers out there that are basically pirates. And You know, how do we maneuver ourselves through this that they've created, uh, trying to create their one world order where we're all basically slaves and they own everything. So it's (laughs) it's just a, a process of dealing with the emotions of facing the fact that we've probably all been lied to our whole life.
11: I would like to disagree with you, Nancy, but I completely agree with you 110%. Uh, Actually, where I disagree with you a little bit is I think it actually started long before the Second World War. And by that, I mean, if we look, you mentioned G. Edward Griffin's book and also Eustace Mullins wrote a book about the Federal Reserve and about how the Federal Reserve came into being. That was in 1913, right? And the Federal Reserve, many people uh, believe is a a part of the United States government. It's not a part of the executive branch, the legislative branch or the judicial branch. It's an independent group of cartel bankers who were given control of our money supply and therefore essentially were given the keys to the kingdom in 1913 By Woodrow Wilson in a Congress which voted the fact that the printing of money would be handed over from the United States Treasury to this independent group of bankers who have no allegiance to the United States or the Constitution. They only have, or the American people, they have an allegiance to themselves and their own wealth. And one of the reasons why we are in this financial mess that we have been in. And getting worse over the past 109 years is because of the Federal Reserve system, the Depression. In fact, Bernanke, several years ago, admitted, well, the the Depression in the 1920s was a result of the Federal Reserve. Well, I contend and I believe, and I believe it goes without contention, that that the current financial mess we're in today, the stagflationary environment, is because of a Congress and a president that are willing to spend money we do not have and a monetary policy by the Federal Reserve that has taken the value of our dollar from when they took over creation of the money supply in 1913. The dollar now is wor- worth less than 99% of what it was in 1913. That's not incompetence. That's not an accident that has been the plan. And what that means is the dollar has, if you will, the inflation has been brought through the roof. Inflation is, is a killer, a killer for every income group in particular the middle and lower class. And that, and that, it, it's not fiscal irresponsibility or malfeasance that caused this. It was a fiscal plan to destroy the middle class
10: in this country. I agree with you completely. And you know, I've done some shows on how it goes back to literally the 13th century with the Pope declaring himself king of the world and everybody as slaves. And, uh, but I I agree with you and I think you're brilliant. And so, okay, bringing us to today, how do you see us defeating or stopping these pirates, these Mm -hmm. mafia banker pirates, globalists, who poisoned our world? They've poisoned our food, they poisoned our water, they poisoned our air. Now they're hammering us with these um radiation devices and satellites and cell phone towers and 5G things that are lowering our frequency, causing anxiety, insomnia, and many times suicide. And you know, it's it's, it's like I you know, I keep trying to figure out, you know, how do we stop them? Well, here's
11: many people believe, Nancy, that they cannot be stopped, that they're all powerful and they cannot be stopped. And to that of philosophy, I'll say I'll be diplomatic, rubbish to that. And the reason why I say that is the following. I believe what we're seeing right now around the world, not, not just in healthcare, but geopolitically in the education system across the board, I, I see them acting not out of a position of power, but a position of being desperate and panicked. Let me give you a good example. On September 1st, Joe Biden, who was installed in the Office of President in January of 2017, notice I didn't say elected or inaugurated, but installed, gave a speech in front of Independence Hall, the birthplace of the Declaration of Independence the Constitution. Watching that presentation, many pe- the, the purpose of that presentation Was to put people in fear. The syndicate works on fear. The way they get their agenda across and through the sausage factory, if you will, of legislation, is instituting fear in the public. When people become fearful, they become paralyzed and they become sheeple, if you will, and just follow along. That's the playbook that has worked. For the globalist syndicate for many, many decades. When they start to lose control of the narrative and they feel they're starting to lose control of their positions, they always revert back to fear. And that was the purpose of that presentation. Here he was with the Independence Hall bathed in blood red colors. Flags at his sides, two marines or marine on each side. Here he is shaking his fists, screaming hysterically from a podium. And if you look at the old videos of Mussolini, also known as Il Duce, back in the 1930s and 1940s, it was it's very similar presentation technique: shaking his fists, yelling and screaming in Biden's speech, demonizing tens of millions of Americans who are patriots, that was not from a position of power. It was from a position of weakness and desperation. So why did they feel that they were, and why do they feel they're losing control? If they're all powerful, and if they have all the chips on their side of the table, why do they feel this way? Because they see and feel pushback and an awakening of the public. And, and they thought with their COVID pathogen, followed by their lack of treatment, followed by their jab, that they would put all of the freedom-loving public and all of the public around the world in a box in more ways than one. It failed. And it failed because there were some people within the medical world who stood up for facts, data, science, and the truth. And because of the internet, people started to listen. And this awakening, where they thought it was going to be game, set, and match, and their Great Reset would be immediately implemented with COVID and their subsequent jab, instead, it led to a boomerang effect. People awakened. People started talking. Even though they were locked down, that, that was one of the purposes of lockdown. Keep people locked down. Don't let them talking amongst themselves. Don't get them in a restaurant. Don't get them in a store. Don't get them outside right here in Michigan. Gretchen Whitmer, uh, the governor of Michigan, uh, we call her the most, uh, the Colonel Clink, you know, the incompetent commandant of Hogan's heroes. We think of Michigan as the largest POW camp in all of North America. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer, one of her first dictates was nobody can go outside. Nobody can cut their grass. No, no, no. Nobody can go to stores, except like her and her little cronies, right? The yeah. purpose of that was to make it so people couldn't, would not talk. But what happened is people might not have been outside, but they started getting, they were listening to the bought off lamestream fake media and they were listening to the propaganda and then they get online and they'd start picking up shows like yours or mine or a number of other people in the independent media and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. There are there are people like Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Lee Merritt, Dr. Zev Zelenko, Dr. Ryan Cole, uh
10: Dr. uh, uh the first line doctors, the
11: all docs who put their li- uh, who put their lives on the line to speak about the truth, the facts, the data, and the science, and people started to hear this, and they said, "Well, wait, I gotta go. That's not what I'm hearing on the Today Show. That's not what I'm hearing from the presidents, both Trump and Biden. Wait a minute. Wait, wait." This is, this, wait, this isn't right. This is not correct. What is going on here? And they started investigating. And where COVID was supposed to be the kill shot, if you will, in more than one way, to end people's freedoms and liberties in mass, it actually caused an enormous awakening to the point where now, in the past month, we had the CDC come out and say, "Well, we're revising. We're, we're revising our recommendations, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're essentially pulling a 180, right?" It was reported on NPR: New COVID-19 guidance from the CDC focuses on individual decisions. Wait a minute! Oh, no. the, the last three years was about government dictates with no individual decisions, right? And, and And that's the key that Reagan had locked on to. Your policies need to focus on individual empowerment, not empowerment of the insurance companies, the a m a big pharma, big medicine, big government, but the individuals. That's why he locked onto my message of prevention because it was an individual choice of people focusing on prevention and trying to reduce or eliminate. Or modify, attenuate injuries. That was the whole point of the legislation and the policies we put forward through C- Dr. C. Everett Koop, the Surgeon General. But now we got, and we, and we exa- went the exact opposite. Now understand that process. When Reagan left office, and I started to deal with Old Man Bush, George H. W. Bush. He didn't want to have individual empowerment. He was locked into the insurance industry and big pharma and big medicine and the AMA and big government. So was Clinton. So was younger Bush, W. Obama, forget about it. one paid for by the the syndicate. They all were. They all were. The first thing I said said when I started my radio show, Nancy, in, in October 2010 was, the day Ronald Reagan left office in January 1989, Our country forever changed because every person who's occupied that office, I made this statement in 2010, every person who occupied that office since Reagan has been owned and operated by a criminal syndicate, that being, if you will, the deep state, the new world order crowd, and they all focus on bureaucracy. So now, all of a sudden, after three years of death and mayhem, what was completely preventable the CDC comes out. This is reported on NPR, no less, right? New COVID-19 guidance from the CDC focuses on individual decisions. Good. That's something all of us were pushing for for three years, right? Yeah. So here's the yeah. first recommendation change. Those exposed to the virus are no longer required to quarantine. In other words, lockdowns aren't effective. Then they said, unvaccinated people now have the same guidance as vaccinated. Medical translation, the vaccines are ineffective. They don't work. Third point, students can stay in class after being exposed to the virus. In other words, social distancing is not effective. And their fourth was it's no longer recommended to screen those without symptoms. In other words, asymptomatic transfer does not occur. There is no reason to wear a mask if you're asymptomatic. Okay. Nancy, why did they do that? They, They did it because they saw the public awakening and they were getting tremendous blowback. And the point, the very long answer to your precise question is this. The way we end this reign of terror by the syndicate and their puppets is by peacefully protesting and holding their feet to the fire of truth and facts and data. And when it comes to COVID or whatever the health issue is, science. You see... what what they were counting on is all of us would be so fearful, we would become paralyzed, we would become mute. We We would not say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, what you're saying is false. Now, you've been told if you continue to push these policies that harm every person's freedom, that harm every person's health and wellness, then guess what? What we're gonna do, my relatives, my coworkers, my neighbors, everybody we can gather together, what we're gonna do is we are gonna vote you out of office. That's right, and we're gonna let everybody know so you don't sit in your big, fat, leather, cushy chair and continue doing what you're doing to all of us and to our republic. Now, many people believe that doesn't work. No, I believe it does. I've seen it work thousands of times. Let me tell you something about politicians, and I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of politicians over the years. They don't particularly like dealing with me because I tell people what they need to know, and it might not be, and it's not what these guys want to hear. Or, guys and women want to hear in politics, but I tell them. And let me tell you something. There's two things politicians fear. One, not having enough money to run for reelection, which the syndicate is happy to provide them, right? Just so they carry out the syndicate's agenda. But the second thing they fear is the public being wise and informed on an issue that makes it clear that that elected individual is on the wrong side of the equation, that they're on the oppression side of the equation. They know, and here's what people really need to realize. We have them number wise, right? There are 320 million people in the United States. There are roughly, let's give it a highball estimate, 3,000 of these elite, if you want to call them that, scum.
10: No, I don't want to call them elite because I think they are scum. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I would call them globalists.
11: Okay. There's 320 million of us. The only way they can try to level the playing field is by keeping us uninformed, misinformed, disinformed, and in fear when they see people are not fearful and are approaching them peacefully and saying, what are you doing? Here's the issue. Here's what you're spouting. You know, that's wrong. Here's what needs to happen. And if you don't do, and if you don't start moving on this on the freedom side of the equation, we're going to vote you out of office. So you don't even make it through the primary. That scares them, because even though the election process is tainted, okay, terribly corrupt, they know they can only rig the system, the machinery, only so far. They can only do so much. And if there's a mass movement against them, it won't matter how it's rigged. They won't win. That's what they're afraid of, but they don't, they want people to believe that people are powerless, that they should just shut up, that they're, that they cannot make a difference. No, Nancy. The point of my presentation today is people have the power. People have the awakening now on their side. Nancy, When I started the radio show 12 years ago, I I told you that after the first show and every show initially, a lot of blowback about, oh, conspiracy theory. Now, Nancy, I get none of that. And all these people that said that have come back and said, well, I was wrong. You know, this this is, you know, I I thought this was conspiracy theory. But in fact, you know, uh, this is this is a Target. And this is why they paraded their puppet Biden out there to give what I call I, you know, Il Duce Mussolini. This is so Mussolini-esque. I call Biden Il Demente, right? And I call the speech, his inferno speech based on Dante's Inferno, which is a 14th-century poem that talks about a walk through hell. That speech was El Demente's Inferno. It was a walk through hell. And it was not because they have all the power cards on in their hand. It's because they realize that people have awakened. They we realize they're losing control. They've lost control of the narrative, and they went back to their old, no pun intended, Trump card of fear. And it did not work.
10: Yes, again. And- I, I I love what you just said. I love that you call him Meltimate. Hilarious. Um I I agree with you and I think that is so great. And I think my listeners are very much uh, empowered and I get great in Uh, emails and things from people who are non-consenting and and uh, standing on their own freedom and owning their rights and it's just so wonderful and i hear this from i have about 58 countries that listen to my show and i i hear it from all over the world and i think you know Together, we make a a beautiful, peaceful army of love that can override any of this hate and evil that that we're facing today. And I do believe there is like a kind of a spiritual connection that, that, that we are all connected to, and it's powerful. And it is in those low, fearful energies that they have more power over you. But if, if we stay, you know, like like you're saying, in in a place of 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 strength and knowing that we are uh, very powerful beings, you know, we can we can overcome this. And and I and I think it it's gonna happen happen worldwide on an individual basis, but in mass.
11: And and the key, Nancy, is they want people to sit on their couch, sit in front of the TV and listen to their bought off lamestream fake media present information that's false. The single greatest thing each and every one of our listeners can do is not sit on the couch to not listen to the bought off lamestream fake media, to turn it off, to go to the independent media, because that's where you will garner the truth, the facts, the data, and the science. But then, and here's here's the key, is to educate yourself, to empower yourself, but then take that information and the sources where you got that information, the links, and talk to your family and friends and neighbors and coworkers and even people you don't even know. And, yes, you might, many people say, well, I'm afraid to do that because, well, I'm going to get blowback. Well, okay, but is somebody going to give you blowback because you're trying to educate them and help them and say, you're not going to dictate to them. You're going to say, hey, I came across this information and I checked it out and I found it to be accurate. Why don't you check it out too? And then why don't you check to see if it, it pans out from you and get back to me? You know, one of the things I love to do, Nancy, is whenever I go get gas, right, uh, I'll 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 be at the pump, and I'll I'll take some piece of information I have right. Like for example, um, the strategic petroleum reserve that El Demente Biden is releasing. The strategic petroleum reserve, a good chunk of it was actually sent to Europe and to China. Not. To stay here in the United States to minimally lower our gas prices, not that it worked, but but I, I when I'm a gas, I'll say, hey, uh, are you you know what I heard the other day? I heard that the current administration sent our strategic petroleum reserve rather than for us not to be paying five dollars a gallon here or four ninety-five, four fifty a gallon here, but you know, supposedly to bring it down. They sent it to China and they sent it to Europe. Are you aware of that? Most people. I didn't know that. Are you sure about that? Yeah. Hey, here's, and I carry with me a little copied list of sources to go to. I said, you know what? I found this helpful. Some friends helped me out with this, getting this list together. And here's three or four sites to go check it out. I think I'll tell you, I, I, this does, this surely doesn't make any sense to me and it's really troubling. Nancy, I can tell you, I have never had somebody go, keep that list. Okay. I've yeah. never, I had, there's somebody that still had a Biden bumper sticker on their car. And I get, and they're like, really? I didn't know that. I, you I didn't hear that on the nightly news. No, I didn't either. No, no, no. And I don't think we will. Really? You think so? Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh. well, okay. Well, hey, thanks for giving me that. I'll look into this. See, Nancy, here's a bucket. This is what's gotten them so panicked and desperate. A bucket brigade of truth has broken out amongst millions of people. People are getting that bucket full of, of facts, data, science, and, and, and truth from the independent media. And then they're going to their friends, families, co workers, and saying, hey, look at this. And those people might sit at the beginning say, ah, heck with that. That's. Bad. But on, they put the bucket down, then they come back to it and they start looking. At it. What, what's in there? They go, look at this. That can true. And they start researching and they go, holy cow, that is true. Wait, hey, wait, wait. What else in this thing is? But Whoa. And then they go to other people that they never would have even thought of going to and saying to their family and friends and coworkers and say, hey, are you aware of this? And that's what's happened, Nancy, over a number of years time. But the pace of that became exponential because of COVID, which is a complete boomerang effect from what the syndicate thought they were going to do.
10: I love that. That is that is so great. Oh, Dr. Dave, I can't believe, but we have like five minutes left, and so <laughs> I, I want to make sure that I, that was brilliant information. And I totally think that you know, if we all do this worldwide, even more so now than we have been, you know, we we can we can make even a, a greater dif- difference and stop this. Um, and, and I love that you do that. I talk to everybody here, too, and I, I would print out things three years ago and hand them out at the post office or the grocery store. And and, uh, and I, I do think it would make a difference. And it was interesting because there would be people standing on their dot with their mask on. Of course, I'm the only person without a mask on in the whole place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are looking at me like I'm like, you know who is that person? And I'll be talking to somebody because they can't help not talk to you because they're like, "Who are you?" And I'm like, "Oh, you know what? I printed off the latest, you know, U.S. Justice report on nothing overrides your freedom of religion. Would you like it here? You know, I <laughs> it to him. Person behind him is going, "I just heard what you said. Can I have a copy of that too?" And you're like, "Yeah." And so. You know, it, it it is so wonderful to connect with so many lovely people who they just don't know what they don't know. And so it's, you know, it's a it is an awakening and it, it's wonderful. And so everybody, uh, we're getting to the end of the show and I want to make sure Dr. Janda uh, information gets there for y'all. And I am going to put it in the description below, but uh, his Operation Freedom radio show is fantastic. I highly recommend it. It's Sundays from 2 to 5 Eastern. And uh, you can also go to his website, DaveJanda.com, and it's D-A-V-E-J-A-N-D-A. And, oh, my gosh, your courageous work your whole life, your amazing family. If you haven't seen his YouTube show, um, he's got a history of his family and, and why he is such a a courageous freedom fighter today it's wonderful and um i think it's called operation freedom right dr janda yep. the the uh youtube channel's operation freedom we also have a
11: rumble channel operation freedom dave tremendous amount of free content there as well as our subscription content which is extra shows extra content extra guests uh 30 cents a day nine bucks a month Folks can try it and if they don't like it, get rid of it, but I'm not sure why, because the information we provide puts people far ahead of that curve. Um, The presentation you spoke about is also uh, available at DaveJanda.com, The Road to Freedom. It's about uh, my family's battle against the globalist syndicate since actually the 1880s and uh, how the syndicate can be defeated. That's called The Road to Freedom. It's free, it's on the website, the radio show. Is live every Sunday from two to five Eastern. Folks can stream it free and live at DaveJanda.com. Just hit the Listen Live button. Folks want the podcast—that's the they, which they would have twenty-four-seven access to, along with all of our shows and all of our archives. That's part of the subscription service. And thank you, Nancy, for everything you do and how you do it. You put people far ahead of that globalist constructed curve in the road that ends in a brick wall with the smashing of pre- people's freedoms and liberties. And what you do is you provide people an off-ramp for freedom, the road of road to freedom, so that they you, may enhance their their freedoms and
10: liberties. And I thank you. You're so kind. We didn't talk about a single thing I was planning on talking about today. And I'm hoping that I can talk to you into coming back again and talking more about, you know how how we can manage and maneuver this world health wise, uh, uh, in addition to uh, freedom wise, and so I'm I'm, uh, I'm gonna try to convince you to come back on and and maybe expand on some of this because you've been just an absolutely brilliant, wonderful guest with so much wonderful information, and uh, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's been a pleasure and an honor, and I look forward to coming back with you. And if
11: folks want a little information on what we do on the nutritional side of the equation, your purview, I do a series of shows. on. It's also on YouTube on our Operation Freedom channel with Dr. Peter Glitton, a naturopathic physician. And we talk about harnessing the body's own innate ability to heal itself and to create a, a, an environment that you don't have to go to the doc to get the... To, to get treated, because if you treat your body and use its own power, you can, in fact, meet, maintain your health and wellness uh, for uh, many, many years to come.
10: What a beautiful way to end this show, and I highly recommend doing what he just suggested. <laughs> and uh, as I close the show today, I just want to, uh, Dr. Tinda and I want to thank you all for joining us. Because we know your time is valuable And we're honored that you have joined us today And I'm Nancy Addison, your host My website's OrganicHealthyLife.com I believe that how we do anything is how we do everything So as you go through your life And you connect with those around you Just remember to add that main ingredient And that main ingredient is always love
0: (music)
1: ready when you are for all the are we there yet and look at that the anticipation and conversations in a vehicle that came from enterprise with the peace of mind of our complete clean pledge curbside rentals and low touch transactions plus so many vehicles of all kinds so you can relax and focus on the moment all of them enterprise connecting you to all the places you love
12: experience the jared difference the best prices on an amazing selection select your diamond gift today from hundreds of styles they're sure to love jared love brilliantly
9: this is the fcb podcast network
7: Already starting the show and he even kicked off. You already know what time it is. You're into the hottest show on this side of heaven. It is your man, JB, the host with the most. And you are tuning into another exciting episode of the Jeff Brown Show. And, uh, you know, we got the fam. We in the cyber studio and we already going in. And the man ain't even, we ain't even started yet. We we started, but y'all weren't there. But we, we on right now. I got the lovely Coco Brown, the lovely side always of the show. I'm that's here the best yes, smile in the world. I'm
0: here, yes.
7: Yes, yeah, she. <laughs> hey, she got the best smile in the world. I mean, her teeth stay white. It gets whiter every time I see <laughs> it. <laughs> I'll put nothing bad in my mouth. That's why. <laughs> hey, well, this- <laughs> a lot of bad things you can put in your mouth. <laughs> yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, I mean, yeah. There's a lot of good things you can put in your mouth, too. So, you know, hey. You you know, know. hey. It depends on, you know, what good is to you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Let me cut this care boy. <laughs> Look at that smile. That smile is amazing. it just sparkles you know what i'm saying you got you know ever you see them uh, them commercials, the toupee commercial and and you smile your teeth just got a star on
12: it it go gleam
7: yeah (laughs) like nothing gets on her teeth like her teeth has like bulletproof protection or something like they don't i'm very selective of what i put in my mouth (laughs) I, I, i can tell I can. Do you like chocolate? Do you like chocolate? in this mouth. I can't just let anybody be. <laughs> <laughs> do you like $6,000 Do you like, like, do you you like larger, chocolate? Baby. Do you like chocolate? I do like chocolate, but I don't eat it often. All right. Just <laughs> I'm just making a mental note. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a mental Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, I'm mental note. yeah, and then you know. just <laughs> moving on, we got. The other side of the show, my man, we call him the hat. Um, I used to call him Reverend Durong, but he you know he fought Jesus. <laughs> oh <laughs> he called no, it's sitting up there looking like a bootleg bishop TDJ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, T D fakes. <laughs> hey, hey, Come
0: said, on.
12: Come on now. Come on now. And I know you you are the last one to call somebody Reverend Durong.
7: Uh, uh, I know. I, right. uh, listen, listen. I ain't got no That's problem Deacon with it. Bro. Do dirty. That's Deacon. Do dirty. <laughs> Deacon. Do dirty. <laughs> I can live with that because you know what? I understand my
12: place. You know, the all play. the Deacons are always getting into some stuff.
7: No, and, are, and, and, and Deacons are always in charge of the money. So I can I will take that role. Child, let me tell you something. I can tell you some stories of some deacons trying to holler in my inbox. You so some deacons tried to get on with you. Man, I don't have pastors in my inbox, bishops in my inbox, deacons bishops. in my inbox, ushers in my inbox. Can Not you the see usher First Lady? The Usher boy be trying to get me, yo. <laughs> so wait a minute, you done went through the whole church? Or, they, or the whole church tried to come through you? Yeah, they tried to come through me, honey. I, I ain't playing with God <laughs> like that. I know I'm a sinner, okay? <laughs> I, trying, I got enough okay, karma. Can you see go- us- uh, uh, yourself as a First Lady? Can you see yourself as a First Lady? You know, it's funny. I had I got a pastor right now trying to holler me and I'm trying to tell him. I said, baby, I'm not first lady ready yet. Let me at least start wearing kitten heels. <laughs> I said, baby, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not one that's going to be. Wait a be minute. Ready. Are you saying, Thank Coco, you. this man that this man of God? He, yes. wants, to, he, wants, he wants an opportunity to date you. Yeah. And yes. then all of a sudden, he dates you. Do you think he will leave the? No, he ain't gonna leave the pulpit. He's gonna be praying for me a lot. <laughs> like, hey, Coco gonna be it. out. Hey, Coco gonna be out on Saturday night telling dirty jokes and then coming to church. Right, on and then come the on day. church on Sunday talk about what would he doing. What would he doing?
12: One of the big old one of big, old, one one
7: one big, old, deal, one big old hats. Sending you the They be like, first lady Coco. All right, they go to first lady. I'm saying, I'm saying though, yo, I already know, dude. I'm like, my mom was like, God rest her soul. She was like, you know, you'd be a great first lady. I said, mother, things you do not know. (laughs) I mean, I'll be up there talking about, we going to have real wine in this communion cup. Um, Catholics drink it all the time for communion. I know, I know. You know, it's like I was I was watching the uh, I was watching the Hall of Knights, and they and, and uh, I was watching Leela rashan uh Sunshine, and, and Red Fox was like, you know, he said that's that's a mean woman that make you change. God say the, say, the <laughs> say my man, see my man was Catholic and became Baptist. You know, what I'm, saying? <laughs> so, so, um, I'm telling you. <laughs> Coco, out here about to change the passage to, to, to yeah, I, I don't know. To... Of, like what you doing after <laughs> the show? I'm like, uh, what you doing writing your sermon? <laughs> what? Talking about Why Adam and Eve. What I'm doing after the show, brother. Be about you Adam doing? and Eve. He's gonna be trying. trying to get you in his garden. <laughs> Pastor don't want none of this, honey. I have him changing God's. I will have him questioning God, no. saying what you want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not there yet. <laughs> I mean, Y'all don't the pastor's I mean, You seen the pastor's slipping up, cursing on pulpit? <laughs> 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 yeah. And then you, and you, then you then he'll talk about you over the pulpit. <laughs> My wife last night came in from the show and she had been drinking a little bit. You know, things (laughs) a little left.
12: (laughs) Crazy. Man, listen. You know how many times Coco would go viral if she was a first lady?
7: Oh, Oh man, all the time.
12: Every week. I'd
7: be like, I'd be like, to go my co host. (laughs) Like, uh -uh. (laughs) (laughs) uh-uh. You see the first lady cuss that woman out, talking about, you ain't slick sitting on the front row with that short dress. You think I don't see what you're doing? (laughs) I see.
12: You ain't slick. (laughs) <laughs> She's gonna be calling him out.
7: So, Coco, no, are you it. saying that in your in your journey of dating, mm-hmm. are off the table? What the what? Pastors and deacons off the table in your in your <sighs> your journey of dating. I mean, if you got one... that I'm, you know, I, 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 I have faith. I love the Lord. I got some things to deal with at my own, you know, crossroads. But, I, I, I mean, I can't be fake. I got, God rest her soul. That aunt of mine, man, she was the best first lady. But honey, when she got home after church... <laughs> <laughs> took them, 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 them garments off, honey, and put on that little jogger suit. Oh, she was not a first lady. <laughs> oh, Lord. I would be well, more me, like <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Coco, meanwhile, mm-hmm. while we talking about relationships and mm-hmm. church folk dating and yeah. all this, you know, yeah. Tia Mori, Tia Mori, you know, better known for her role. That hurt my heart when I saw that. It ain't hurt my heart. Well, you know, it's, it's not, it, this stuff happens it, like that. It's, it's, it's hard out here. It's like, you know, I think about it all the time. You know, I loved the institution of marriage, of what I thought marriage was going to be. Yeah, But a lot of people, you know, just don't understand. They don't have the values our parents had. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if it ain't working out, you do something to piss me off, I'm out. It's like there's no, it's no let's sit down and talk about it or work it out or get some therapy or call in the pastor for prayer. No, it's Man. like I'm out. You so, know. i I'm been Let people to know what happened, happened
12: people who don't know, Joe.
7: And uh, uh, Corey Hart mm-hmm.
0: uh,
7: have now uh, called it quits. For mm-hmm. those of you who don't know, um, mm-hmm. in the court filing it. Tia Mari, her, her attorney filed that um, it was for irreconciled di- differences. Which is the, so only, thing could not... could, the only thing you can file for in California. I don't care what happened. So say it was not Coco? In the Coco. state of California, you can't, like, specify why you're leaving. Okay. It's always across so the board. So in California.
12: So it's always irreconcilable differences.
7: Oh. In California, no matter what the circumstances are. Okay. Gotcha. Coco. Okay, you was going in and out there for a second. So oh, that's right. it, okay, so that was in the state of that's in the state of California. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, she mm-hmm. said that um she asked the judge in her petition um for joint custody to suspend spousal support because they signed the pre See, that's why you gotta a prenup because you never know. Mm-hmm. I'm telling I mean, you, I, know I, I pre- would never get married again without one. I'd be damned. <laughs> I'd be damned. I'd i ain't be mad dead. at you. People, the you know, women get mad at me when I say that they get offended. My, my so, thing. So is real quick, Coco, tell know. people
12: why you why you feel that way about a prenup, and we got about a minute.
7: Well, you know, I dodged a hell of a bullet. You know, if if circumstances were not as extreme as they were in my divorce, I would probably be paying this man child support. Child, you know, I'd be mm. paying him alimony, all of that, because I made all the money. He made no money. And so mm. when I look at friends of mine, like like Sherry talks about it all the time, where she got to pay her ex-husband. And Tasha still pay, him? pay Yes. Yes. Mm. And a grip. Is sitting on his ass making a bag off that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I told her, I said, That's why I know you good and saved and sanctified, honey, because that would have turned up missing. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to slip that word, but I meant that from the bottom of my heart. Just bleep that out, Darvio. Bleep that out. But I meant that from the bottom of my heart. That man would have turned he up. <laughs> yeah.
12: He'd have turned, he'd've turned
7: well, we're, up. We're We'll be right back before somebody turn up missing with Coco. We'll be right back.
12: You gotta save your co-host from confessing crimes. She would.
7: Right. I'm just saying. I'm just she saying. Be on, before she be on BT or song, we'll be right back.
3: Right. Right. And snap. Exactly. These days, it seems like everybody's talking, but no one is actually listening to the things they're saying. Critical thinking isn't dead, but it's definitely low on oxygen. Join me, Kira Davis, on Just Listen to Yourself every week as we reason through issues big and small, critique our own ideas, and learn to draw our talking points all the way out to their logical conclusions. Subscribe to Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis, an FCB radio podcast, on Apple, on Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts.
12: Experience the Jared difference. The best prices on an amazing selection. Select your diamond gift today from hundreds of styles they're sure to love. Jared, love brilliantly. For over a decade, the Merrill Moab has been the best-selling choice of hikers, made famous for its out-of-the-box comfort, durability, and all-purpose versatility. We love to be outside with our friends, rain or shine. Moab is a mindset, so let's keep going and step further. It's time to Moab on.
7: And we're back we're back with more hot topics. Uh, we're talking relationships, and uh, uh, we mentioned in the previous segment about Tia, Mari, and Corey Hardrick, now Tom, Brady, and Giselle are looking mm-hmm. at the uh, situations. I know what happened in that. Russell, what you say? What happened? Tom Brady want to be home with her and them kids. He like, man, yeah, <laughs> well, with this? I'm going to the oh, his age to come back into the NFL, he was escaping something.
13: Uh-huh.
7: He said, I'm willing to take a broken collarbone to get away from this. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? When a man is willing to take a broken bone. He he, he was at home for like four months after he was like, man, is this what going on? I will take (laughs) like I (laughs) hey Coco. He said, I love my kids and I love my wife, but I'm going back to football. He said, I I just any man that age, I mean, he's like, I'm I'm willing to take this broken collarbone, it won't set right. I don't think he like you, sis. <laughs> he like, wow. He said, I've been playing football for almost 22 years. And I've he went really got- to escape that. Like, went.
12: Been home. He went home for that summer. For the first couple of weeks, he said, oh, hell no. He
7: said, no, nah, I'm going to. His take- was like, take- Tom Brady, father was like, I don't care what y'all say. My son's coming back to play football. <laughs> I'm going to take Man, it's just crazy, man. So um, you know, when it comes to these relationships, you gotta do prenups, I think, you know, when you're on that level. Cause you just mm-hmm. never know. You you just never know. No, I mean I, mean, I would I mean you expect women to, to to pull that, you know what I'm saying? Cause that's why women get so upset because Women feel like they should be compensated for their time, their stretch marks, all them babies, their hair, whatever. But now that you got the dudes flipping the script, that they get with women that are way more successful than them, and they don't want to prenup because they know if this woman tries to leave, because they're going to be on some bullshit, they already know they're going to be on some work. Bullsh-. They already know. Right. So, yeah. dip out, and now they realize women got to pay too. So, you got a lot of dudes out here wearing panties, honey. They like, look, I want to come up, I want to come up too and sit <laughs> on my table and do nothing. And they just chick <laughs> take my life. They got on the Victoria Fall edition, huh? <laughs> <laughs> they got, so they got the Man, Victoria swimsuit. i uh... going to get waxed, honey. It's a different day.
12: <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Jeff, what's up? If you were in the situation mm-hmm. where it's you totally could cash. get spousal support, would you take it? Cause, I as was, a man, we were, I would not feel comfortable taking.
7: Well, if the woman, if me and her, we split on good terms, and we just realized that it didn't work. I wouldn't take anything, even if she made more than me. I wouldn't take it from her because we you know we we understood that we was good, we were straight, and uh, and we have a mutual respect and love for each other. And we and I wouldn't take nothing from her, especially if we got kids. You know what I'm saying?
0: Mm-hmm. But if, my,
7: if she was on trash, disrespectful, and she was a hellion, mm-hmm. custody, mm-hmm. i in custody because still got to go. And if she got to give me some money, I won't take all of it, but I'm going to take some of it. Just to, <laughs> just to, just to irritate her. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Right. And this is why I had my lawyer draw up a prenup right after my divorce, and I said, "Just, just keep just, this on file." Yeah, but it, it, mine's would be for more press
12: like just irritate. Just on 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 GP.
7: Irritator. Like if I get twenty, if, she, if I'm awarded twenty thousand, I wouldn't even take the twenty. I would take like five. You know? Oh, you seventy-five. Got some pride. Huh? You got some pride. No, I just want to do it on GP, just to. Get on her nerve and make her mad, you know, because she. I don't, I don't have. I, that's why I know I'm a different type of broad because I don't have it in me to spend the rest of my life trying to make your life miserable. Once I don't care about well, you, well, it won't be the rest of your not, life. It'll only be for about twelve <laughs> months. <laughs> like, like seriously, I mean, it be the rest of your life, it'd be for like twelve months. Oh, you are gonna have it like twelve months? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it and, wouldn't be like for the rest. Of you. Okay. Okay. All right, be like twelve months, like a, like a, like a term loan or something, you know. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I could not take grow be like a, <laughs> be like a, <laughs> be, like a, a, be, like a be like a low interest rate. Like a no-gift. Our title loan. be like a low interest rate, no loan. Feel me, No, no. <laughs> You just that's three point, well, you just three percent right now, three point two percent right now. Wow. Yeah, 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 you know what I'm saying? i mean, hey, I'm fake. Hey, why not? You know, I can little seventy-five, seventy-five nah. hundred 7500 a month, do something with it, go to the gamble, do something, you know. I don't, I don't know, Jeff. I that's would pay for a man's lifestyle after he leave me.
12: Babe, <laughs> <laughs> there's too many poisons out here. <laughs> there you go, confessing <laughs> the crimes again. Jeff, yep. I, I don't know, man. Because on the, I, I'm I'm kind of torn. Because on the one hand, you know, Darby, if you, got, if you were a woman, if a woman <laughs> dog, you, Darby, talk well, about hold on, you. this. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. I'm torn because, as a man, I wouldn't want to take anything, but. I'm petty like you, so so, like I'm kind of I'm I'm torn, Coco. I'm struggling with. I'm
7: I'm, I'm not. let me tell you. Let
12: me let me ask y'all this. Okay,
7: situation: your woman's making millions, you're making hundreds. Okay, right. Y'all don't have a prenup. You wake up one day, decide you don't want to be married no more, and tell this woman, "I'm out." Are you going to go after alimony? You no. gotta make this woman
12: this gonna pay for your lifestyle,
7: no. pay for your lifestyle for you to be with other women.
12: No, no, I couldn't
7: do I, that. If, okay, so if, what are the wait. circumstances that would have to surround you taking money from this woman for at least another five years?
12: If like Jeff said, if she was dogging you or if she got caught
7: talking about eat, my mama, so, you
12: okay. know what I mean? Yeah, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, i, okay. I I might. (laughs)
7: Mama (laughs) Brown. That's all I'm living. I don't care. Like, me, I just like to, you know, call in the goons. You know, I'm, I'm petty. Oh, you know. Listen, I am I am the pettiest I'm very
12: petty. I can't, That's I can't, real... I can't lie. I can't lie. I'm, very petty. I'm, I'm, very petty. I'm not the pettiest. Jeff is pettier than me, but I am little, I am a little petty sometimes. I, I okay. Can't, I can't right. do that. I,
7: petty I, I know we're getting ready to go. I, so we uh coco you ain't petty? Not petty at all. I have a petty side, but I oh was you very, very petty about a month ago. Very what you mean? When I when I put the dude on the plane, coach. Yeah. <laughs> I run in Joe. I run in joke, We don't we don't even call him by his name anymore. We call him Sixty Dollars.
12: Okay, <laughs> now if you're gonna bring something up on the air, you got to tell the people what y'all talking about.
7: What we're gonna go to break? I <laughs> <laughs> All I know is I am not the chick. That I did I fly you out and you act the fool. Uh-oh. Okay, yeah. I am not yeah. that chick to do that to. Okay. Cause you will you mess the brand do- up come first class and go back coach in the middle seat on spirit. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna put no them worse. on soul plane, Coco. <laughs> you will come out on Delta, fly home on spirit. Play with me if you want to. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Play with me if you want to. Go to break it. <laughs> <laughs> That's All I'm saying, if I'm good to you, be good to me. If I'm good to you, be good to me. Don't, don't, fly, <laughs> don't fly, spirit. Will be right I'm back. just saying, don't be, don't be, don't be, don't be, hey, don't, don't be dirty. Bro. And I did you nice. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, whoever's listening to this, do the right thing or you will be flying spirit. Go, subscribe <laughs> right saying. now. To- I'm just don't saying, cry. don't do me dirty, and I've done you good, cause my my my, my snapback is a little different. My comeback you is little... you're going from United to Spirit. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. it you might, be, it might be United breaking cocktails and eating nice little salamis, and now you going home having to pay for peanuts. That's right. <laughs> and don't and, and don't fly do America because you get on the plane. <laughs> You know, don't you, you know, know peanuts water. or water. So, but delayed and missed the flight. Yeah.
12: <laughs> go to break,
7: with, we'll be right back. Go subscribe right now. I already have a podcast, <laughs> Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Gotta go book my flight. You right back.
12: <laughs> Running a business comes with pressure. Remote workforces, HR compliance, attaining top talent, you start to feel boxed in. Fortunately, there's Inspirity. They put 30 plus years of HR service and technology to work, offering my employees competitive benefit options while lightening my HR load. Instead of obstacles, I'm surrounded by people empowered to be their best. With Inspirity, nothing seems impossible. Inspirity. HR that makes a difference. Join Planet Fitness today and get more epic energy and better sleep with tons of equipment and our clean and spacious clubs. Join for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, October 14th. It's glow time. See club for details.
7: <laughs> we back and we back and we back. Go, go, don't do that. That is very catchy. That is very catchy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm trying to make sure I don't angle the camera down because I ain't got no past first. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I'm in mean, your t shirt and my panties. <laughs> Going down.
0: Lord,
7: okay. <laughs> on the first flight on Spirit. <laughs> first flight, first flight to Cali. Oh, oh, We're connections <laughs> to get to me. <laughs> it's a hundred, hundred, hundred twenty-five dollars round trip. Let's go <laughs> the moon to the moon. <laughs> One twenty-five round trip to the moon on Spirit. <laughs> You can go anywhere and spend for 125. It's going the- it to stop in all 50 states, but you're going to get there. <laughs> and, and Dubai. Okay. <laughs> you, be, you be like, man, this, this is like on every end. Damn. Uh, it's the never ended flight. It's going to take you 19 like, yeah, days really? to get there, but you going to get like, there. Yeah, man, you be like, man, my trip is only five days, man. It took me four to get here. Like, <laughs> hotel didn't charge you. You ain't slept in the hotel at all. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Then you go going to get to the moon and stay at a Howard Johnson. <laughs> 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 You at the hotel. You, you at the hotel. With the, with the TV with the fat back on it. <laughs> with, it's mounted it on top of the with wall. The like the, with the VHS in it. Yo, it's mounted on the wall like a flat. still got VHS. Bro, got to uh, pull
12: the antennas out.
7: <laughs> look, you got to use the same towel to be on the floor to wash your face. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, so where we at? <laughs> and Bob Bark and Bob Barker soap. We got to go to prison. To know about that? <laughs> Bob Barker soap. Okay, he's telling prison stories. He real comfortable. <laughs> All right, That's part of my story. I ain't mad. <laughs>
12: Go to the topic, Jeff. We only have (laughs) a few minutes left.
7: Hey, but listen, that's real talk. But check this out. I want to talk about uh, on a serious note, what are these parents teaching their kids? Just recently a video went viral where a Yaba City High School football team reenacted a slave auction Mm -hmm. with um, several young black men that were a part of the football team mm-hmm. in their underwear, mm-hmm. and the the cultural white folks and the Hispanic kids looked like there were some white kids and Hispanic kids as well. Mm-hmm. They were supposed to been the slave masters and, and enacting slave masters, mm-hmm. and um, and um, as a result of the video going viral, the superintendent canceled. The football season, or oh, for the remainder of the season they they withdrew and canceled their football season um uh doreen- Sumi, who is the um superintendent, said it was offensive
12: and disrespectful
7: <laughs> <You think>? and, <laughs> I mean
12: that's an understatement. <laughs>
7: I would have whooped my child's tail. Like, I'd have been like, I know your boy didn't go up there and think this was going to be cool. I made you watch Roots when you was four. (laughs) Like, I would have just been like, "Uh, bro, what what part of you thought this was okay? You know, we got nothing in this house. I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's the culture that we live in. Seriously, and I know we don't got a lot of time, but I got to say this: mm-hmm. we live in a different generation that does not appreciate the history by which our yeah. ancestors have suffered, yeah. have died, yeah. have um, mm-hmm. really tried. Hey, have built this country with their blood, yeah. literally, yeah. their sweat, their sweat, literally. Picking yeah. cotton and going through all the steps so we can vote. Well, this new, yeah. this new era, this new millennials, the, the millennials, yeah. they don't like. We grew up in an era where our parents were still fresh off Jim Crow.
12: Yeah, that's true.
7: Yeah, and the civil rights movement. So we was getting that put in our faces constantly of our heritage from which we have come, how hard we've worked. This new generation, all they know is love and hip hop. Yeah. yeah.
12: Oh They're God. not connected. They're, They're not, not connected, connected they Because their
7: all. parents are telling them to have pride in themselves like that. Their parents are telling them, you got to have the hottest shoes, and you got to have the hottest outfits, and you got to have a big booty, and all that. They're not telling them about who they are as a people. Where we, we know, us 70s babies, and I even give 80s babies, We still had parents that were still fresh from that, from riding the back of the bus. You know what I'm saying? So unfortunately, these new babies they don't have a sense of pride because ain't nobody teaching them no sense of pride. Their pride is awful, material things. That's right. How can you go viral? Can you make a buck off of your 60 second video? That's all they're based on. They don't know nothing about no self pride in their heritage, their history. They don't. Yeah. It's no it's terrible. You're I, it, absolutely it's disgusting. Right. I, it's I, I disgusting.
12: Totally, totally agree with that. I mean I'm an, I'm an 80s baby and my my parents remember the tell of segregation and I also grew up around my grandparents who obviously yeah. you know what I mean so Yeah. It's different.
7: Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it was it's just a disgusting uh video. I'm very upset. But who would
12: think um, that so, but even if you didn't know the history who would think that was okay? That's so stupid. Well, <sighs> they thought it was okay, but I'm more I'm
7: more pissed off with the black kids. Yeah. Yeah, that's- Because like, they should have said, man, we're not doing that. That's disrespectful. Who gonna sign up for a slave auction. all really this. Would people, still be, would people be in such an uproar if the roles were reversed and the black kids would have a slave auction with the white kids? would they be would they be just as upset
12: I don't know if people would I would be though cuz I don't want you being the slave or the slave owner right
7: right yeah I think it so yeah if the roles were reversed but we know that's not history so we have yeah. to deal with what the fact yeah. is the fact yeah. is is that we are our, our ancestors
12: no yeah. if the kids Jeff if the kids if the kids were black being the slave owner in the slave auction. I get,
7: a, I get that. Yeah. I understand that. I'm saying that I don't I, I can't answer that because the reality is the the they reenacted what was real. Mm-hmm. You know, so for me, you know, it's disrespectful.
12: Mm-hmm.
14: And
7: and for black kids to participate in that that's insane. You know it's it's an, it's just an insane situation. Yeah. So, I yeah. hope that uh, you know that these that there are black children, these young black men, really find some mentorship where somebody can really talk to them well, about. Their, their parents or up too. I need their parents to be Yeah, they, too. yeah they, their parents they, need to be in his, they, Yeah. Is feeling some sense of pride in your in your sons, to, to them to even go along with it.
12: Yeah, absolutely. So, it's just, it's say,
7: so, are we talking about Rihanna and the Super Bowl? I love
12: it. We got enough time. Yeah,
7: you want to talk about that? Yeah, because I'm here for it. I know she's gonna bring her man on stage. You know, <laughs> I love I love Rihanna, but she's part of the problem because <laughs> a lot of these ugly dudes, <laughs> Have a lot of confidence they shouldn't have because they're getting chicks like so that man was. Did you Dad, see, are you a see wedding that that man is ugly? I'm not saying he's unattractive. I'm just saying that he's not that easy on the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there was a time and place in our years up on this earth that a dude like that would have never gotten a time of day with a Rihanna. Well, it's ugly. Uh, it well, it's the, it's the it's the ugly people's time. That's all. That's all. It, it, it really it. is, and I'm I'm and, and and it took me some time to realize that I'm not ugly because you know I come from the age old that you attract what you are. So when I had a lot of ugly dudes coming at me, I thought for me, well, maybe I am ugly. But I'm realizing no, they've been given this confidence, this superpower, this 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 this, this cute juice. Somebody gave them some cute juice. And they drinking it by their the bucket loads. Yeah. And, you know, and I just like, hey, I'm not saying I'm not saying the boys unattractive, but you know, there was a day in time that a dude like that could have never got no chick like real. Yeah. Well. Dude like could have never got no chick like and got her pregnant. Like, you know, Jenna. Come on now. There was a time. Right. Yeah, not, a only, yeah. Yeah. Did, yeah.
12: not only did he get her, but he shot got the club a up too.
7: Jay Z could have never what? got to be no We are in it. Yes, it is the ugly people's time. It is the unattractive human beings' time. <laughs> I don't want to say ugly because it's not a nice word. I'm going to say unattractive human beings. It is their time to shine. Well, shine, <laughs> ugly make- people, we salute you. <laughs> <laughs> shine, shine, ugly people, we salute you. Yes. A, and you know you're. You know you want to track it. If you were called at least ugly or an uh, African booty scratcher in your childhood, an <laughs> <laughs>
12: African booty uh, scratcher. Hey, the ugly oh, people yeah. in there right now—they're gonna get their own month in a minute.
7: I mean, I'm listen, It's Gonna be a whole I, month on the track. hey, don't, <laughs> hey, hey, I wouldn't be shocked tomorrow. i would be like it's national <laughs> <no> ugly people. <laughs> unattractive human beings let's be politically correct <laughs> unattractive people day. it's national unattractive people day
12: they're gonna have their own they're gonna have their own you no know, flag and everything
7: every <laughs> Uh, mama's mama, the mother's gonna be posting their sons and daughters. <laughs> like, like, this is gonna be an ugly dude, this is gonna be the king of the ugly dudes. You know, <laughs> women gonna be posting their dudes. Oprah, you get a bad chicken, you get a bad chicken. You get a bad... <laughs> women be the like, he may not be attracted to you. I know he don't look good, but he pay the bills, <laughs> he take care of me. <laughs> Hey, listen, man, it's been a great show. I mean, we came back after being on a two-week vacation, getting some rest and just doing what we do. We always come back. It's always Mm -hmm. love. As we come to the end of the show, we do a segment called What Did You Learn? And I got to kick it off with the lovely part of the show, Coco, because I know she done something. What? What? What did you you learn today, Coco? What did I learn today? I am not... Unattractive. I am not unattractive. It is just a lot of unattractive human beings now have been given the cute juice, and they have confidence beyond belief. And just because you're in my inbox trying to holler and you, you know, got a face only your mother could love, I know that it's right. not a reflection of who I am. It's just that you have this confidence. So I've learned today that I am not an unattractive human being. It's just right. the time. That we live in. this just the time it's unattractive people's season that's what it is it's season to shine <laughs> yeah there yeah, you have it there you have it they shine it dog yeah. what did you learn about uh
12: i learned that you have no problem flying on soul plane <laughs>
7: <laughs> <laughs> right especially if it's somebody in a shirt and panties listen listen i love you you know what Gibson, ah, we love you. I love you. Love <laughs> you. It's, não... it's, <laughs> it's nothing... nothing. in the world. You dirty <laughs> brown.
0: I told like you know, you ain't got no business calling
12: nobody else wherever you wrong.
7: They keep y'all going so fast right now on IR Radio. Thirty. <laughs> go, 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 go. what you say? Dirty is He could do
12: dirty. <laughs> <laughs> <can> do dirty.
7: <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Won't he do it? Oh my God. Won't he do it? Listen, go subscribe on iHeart. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you can see your podcasts. Also, make you guys tune in on Rhythm 105.9 in Sacramento. Big shout-out to Cali, and big shout-out to my people in uh, Nebraska on Hit 90.5. Listen, We love you. God loves you. Peace.
14: And stay ugly.
9: this has been a presentation of the fcb podcast network where real talk lives visit us online at fcbpodcasts.com
12: Join Planet Fitness today and get more epic energy and better sleep with tons of equipment and our clean and spacious clubs. Join for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, October 14th. It's glow time. See Club for details.
1: Looking to upgrade
3: your kitchen? LG can help with our lineup of French door refrigerators. And for a limited time, you'll get up to $200 when you buy an eligible LG French door refrigerator. Terms and conditions apply. Learn more at lg.com slash promotions.
0: Audio jumps.
14: Welcome. Welcome, 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 welcome. We're so glad that you have tuned in once again to Home Spun Sports. It's Sports Dog. Hey, with just a twist of down home wisdom. I am your host, John W. Montgomery II. My kinfolk back in Oklahoma call me John 2, the coach. The man behind the glass. The man that handles all the
13: production. The
14: birthday boy. What's up,
13: Slim? Oh, man. I can't call it, Coach. 27 never looked so good. (laughs) Man, Slim.
14: Man, Slim. I am so very excited about episode number 13. You know, Slim, the great... Willie Nelson saying, my heroes have always been cowboys. Well, (laughs) my heroes have always been offensive line coaches. And and Slim, tonight we got a nacho bone good, a show Mm -hmm. nuff good, Mm -hmm. my friend from way back in the day, And he is currently the head football coach at Rice University. Ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, please make welcome my dog from back in the day, Coach Mike Bloomgren.
0: (laughs) How
13: you doing,
9: Coach? great man great happy birthday slim i didn't know
13: that man happy birthday it belated i'll take it though three days october 3rd coach i appreciate it i appreciate it yeah
14: man yeah so blue man it's uh 2009 and rex just get the head job at the new york jets rex ryan just get the head job new york jets and uh he uh calls me, said, man, come up here and work my camp for a couple of days. I was uh, coaching O-line, assistant head coach at Savannah State, and uh, he flew me up, uh, man, spent eight days following you and Bill Callahan around, and man, boy, let me tell you, what an experience. <laughs> what an experience. Blue man, listen, dog, uh. That's where I first met you, man. But I've followed you, man, and bloom, and, and, man. Like I said, my heroes have always been O-line coaches. No question. That's my hero.
13: So coach, you've uh G you g would under uh Gene Stock not Mike DuBose and Dennis Francioni. Yes, sir. Okay. Two D two. Two Division Two jobs in Catawba and Delta State. Yep. Tell us about your journey.
9: So you got to go back further than that, to be honest. Long before me and John met at Cortland State in uh, New York, working for the Jets. Um, okay. First off, like you know, I, I when I grew up in Houston, Texas, till I was like ten years old, my mom moved um, me and her to Tallahassee, Florida and you know like she was working she was going to school she was doing all kinds of things and i probably wasn't going down the best path and my high school football coach was a guy named mike hickman at florida high and he served that role for me of of being a father and of throwing me and choking me against the locker and letting me know what was acceptable and what was not and he changed the trajectory of my life and from that day on that's when i knew i wanted to coach I, i I went through high school and I was like, man, like, that's what I've got to do. I've got to help somebody like he helped me. And uh, that was really simple of how I wanted to go about this thing. And I had no desire to be a college coach or an NFL coach or any of that stuff. I just wanted to coach kids. I love this game. I respect this game and wanted to help people. And so, anyway, I come back. I start coaching with him when I'm done playing. And he gets me an opportunity. I actually start at Florida State University under Coach Bowden.
0: And, UGA, uh,
9: wait a minute, UGA for Bobby Bowden? My first two years, I was a student assistant with the defense. And uh, so, yeah, when I got done, I, I coached one year of middle school and a varsity assistant, and then the next year, because my high school coach, Mike Hickman, had GA for Bobby Bowden at West Virginia way back in the day. Okay. And so, wow. and I don't know if y'all know this about Tallahassee or not, uh, but back in the day, Florida High was on Florida State's campus. That's and right. So our practice field like 100 yards and their practice field. So in between our 2 days we'd go over there and watch Charlie Ward and Warwick Dunn, and we were just like – so you, you couldn't help but fall in love with football, right? Ain't no way. Whoa. Ain't no way you couldn't help it. You, you couldn't, couldn't help you. it. And so, yeah, so then I'm at Florida State two years, 97, 98. Uh, beat Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl, went to the national championship and lost to Tennessee in 98. And then 99, I get hired as a GA at Bama. And two – well, my first year there – we went the SEC and played Michigan and Tom Brady in the Orange Bowl. And I'm like, man, this job's easy. This college coaching gig, man. You know, That's like, playing right. the Orange. I mean, it was like, wow. So it's kind of crazy. And then the next year at Alabama, we started the year, and we were number three in the nation, and we won three games. And we got fired eight games in after Coach DuBose had been the SEC Coach of the Year the year before.
14: That's right. That's right. I got really
9: blessed because Coach Bowden called Dennis Franchoni and said, look, if you got a spot for this kid, you know, try to keep him around. I really liked him. I don't know what he said, but he saved my job, and I was the only one on the entire staff retained at Alabama. And Dennis Franchoni said, look, I can keep you, but I can't keep you on defense. I'm bringing my GA from TCU, so you got to move over to offense. I was like, cool, I played tight end at college, no problem. And
14: that turned out to be the blessing bloom that turned out to be the blessing such a blessing that turned out to be the blessing yes no sir. Question.
13: so that's the start of the o-line mike Bloomer.
14: that's the start and then you know i
9: i get married in 01 and you know i feel like i gotta i can't be a G.A. in g8 alabama forever even though i would have loved to it was so much fun uh so i go to catawba i'm o-line coach and run game coordinator And then three years later, I go to Delta State. My first job as an offensive coordinator. And you know what? I mean, Cleveland,
14: Mississippi, right? Like, in the... Hey, Hey, man. Hey, Bloom. Bloom, Cleveland, Mississippi, some of the best catfish you ever put in your mouth. Yes, sir. (laughs) It is. Listen, Bloom. Hey, hey, Delta State (laughs) University. Listen, man. I know right where you're at, player. So then, Bloom, but you jump... From Delta State D two all the way to the NFL, how did it come about? Yeah, that's a big jump, huh, John? <laughs>
0: that's
9: okay. <big> <laughs> so, just being blessed. Uh, I guess you, the first thing that happened is like we go to the the national semifinals and we play Grand Valley State. Okay. In Michigan, right? It's the first time any of our kids from the Delta see snow. We end up losing that game. We come back. Our head coach retires. And I was the offensive coordinator. Ron Roberts was the defensive coordinator. Okay. Asked, oh, do you want to interview? And I was kind of like, ah, man, it's a good place. We're going to keep winning. My wife was like, I'm out. Get me out of the Delta. And so I actually had accepted a job at Texas A&M, which is where Dennis Franchoni ended up. And I was about to go there. Well, actually, I moved there. She was about to move there. And I get a call one morning and it's like 6 a.m. It's a scout with the New York Jets. You remember uh, Mike Davis? Yes, sir. So Mike D is the one who called me. He's like, hey, Bloom, how old are you? And it was one of those uh, conversations at, at 155 in a in a place where you drink, right? And uh, yeah. I was yeah. like, how would you want me to be, man? Like, you tell yeah. me? I, I was like, I'm 29. I'll be 30 next week. So he's like, all
13: right.
9: So, anyway, man, one thing leads to another. I go up there, interview, I interview for 12 hours, and Jason Michael ends up giving me a shot. I get hired on Eric Mangini's second year there. And uh, so fortunate to be with guys like Brian Schottenheimer, guys like the second year. In comes Bill Callahan, who you referenced earlier, who might be the most detailed coach I've ever had the honor to work for. Tell me about it. Uh, And guys like Brian Dayball was on our staff. All these head coaches, it was just crazy. And then after two years, you know, we're bringing Brett Favre the second year, and it was kind of an all-or-nothing run. And we started out 9-2, and two, and then we lost five of our next six. Didn't make the playoffs and got fired. Like, that happens in the NFL. We all know that, Jam. Uh, but I was so fortunate because I had extra years on my contract, and when Rex got hired, he kept six of us on the offensive staff. Okay. Which, uh, again, it was Shoddy. It was myself. It was Mike Devlin. It was Bill Callahan, and then we brought in some new great coaches like Henry Eller. You know, like the wide receivers, fans. wide receivers. Yep. And then uh, Anthony Lynn. I mean, how blessed were we to be with Anthony Lynn in those camps?
0: That's you
14: know, why, I was Blue. That's where I first met Anthony when I came up there. Uh, Dennis Thurman, yeah. Mike Patine, yep. Man, boy, with some ball coaches on that staff. Uh, uh, hey, hey, the great special team guru Mike Westhoff, right? <laughs> Man, there was some some serious ball coaches on this on that so then you get the call and you have to you have to palo alto with david shaw how'd that come about so uh as i understand it
9: dave uh dave shaw called bill callahan and john gruden and said i got a no line job who should i hire uh, you know i'm honored enough that they or lucky enough that they said give this kid a look and uh I didn't really think I was ready to leave the NFL, but I'd heard so many great things about David. I went and looked at the beautiful campus at Stanford. I started studying their roster, and they had some quarterback named Andrew Luck. They had (laughs)
12: had
9: Castro and Jonathan Martin. I was like, man, this won't be bad. So uh, go out there, John. I thought like, hey, I'm going to do this for one year. And the reality was like we had such a fun time and, like it, it's so cool when you work for somebody that happens to turn out to be your best friend and that's what David Shaw was like he was a mentor he was my best friend he treated me so incredible gave me so much autonomy and i did get an opportunity to go with Dave all to the Chiefs the next year and you're thinking like this is your own room this is what we want and we had two young boys and it was one of those things where it was like Laura and i just got to talking and it was like how do we leave here how do we leave this situation with David Shaw? We're going to keep winning. We work with the most incredible kids who are the best role models for our own children. Like, how do we leave? Yeah. And yeah. so we yeah. stayed that year. And then it's like, OK, I'm ready to be a coordinator. And so I was about to take another coordinator job in conference. And Pep
14: Hamilton leaves. And it, so it, that's right. Pep was there. Pep, Pep at the there. Island I'm Island I'm Island to 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 university is Pep Hamilton. No question. So that's right. So Pep leaves and David makes you the coordinator. Makes me the coordinator. The next year, Derek Mason leaves for Vanderbilt.
9: And so I get to be the assistant head coach. A year later, I started interviewing for those head jobs because of the success. You know, we had some great players, you know, from not just Andrew, but then Christian McCaffrey, Bryce Love. I mean, right on that line. And the linemen that we were fortunate to coach was just unbelievable. And so anyway, then we get those opportunities and it was one of those things where ah, I just don't want to go there. I know it's a lot of money. I know it's this. I know it's that. And finally, my wife was like, all right, how many of these are you going to turn down? Like, what's, what's the deal? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's a good question. Like, all right, well, here's what I'm looking for. babe. I'm looking for a smart, self-starting student athletes that actually believe in being excellent in every phase of their life. And she's like, OK, cool. Where's that? I was like, okay, Stanford, Northwestern, Rice, Vanderbilt, and Duke. And so Duke had a head coach, David Cutcliffe, who had changed the program. Northwestern had an alum playing there. My One of my best friends, Derek Mason, just took the job at Bandy. So it's like Stanford and Rice, and like Dave ain't going nowhere. And to start the 2017 season, we opened the season in Sydney, Australia, versus the Rice Owls. And – I don't know what the final score was, maybe maybe 40
14: or 50 or 60 to seven or something like that. We could have scored 100, right? Like we, we, uh, and so like, as it turns out, that was probably my job interview. And yeah, I that was know, your interview. God was setting you up, Mike. God yeah. was setting you up because, Mike, the, the academic standards at Stanford made it conducive. God was preparing you for rice
9: no doubt 100 yes sir
14: ain't no question about it man so now you had rice okay so the legacy and i go back a minute because i'm a little older than you a lot of people don't know this <laughs> uh, uh, slim but rice university was playing black quarterbacks in 1972 when it wasn't fashionable to play black quarterback, Uh, Staley Vincent. And I'm sure you know Staley Vincent, right, Mike? I do. Yes, sir, played quarterback. I remember it well. And I'll tell you something else too. Stanford had a linebacker named Rodrigo Barnes. Slam, he wasn't nothing but the truth. And this was in in the 70s, but you could get Is it the same sale, Mike? Is it the same sale, Stanford, Nike Rice? Absolutely it is. Like you're talking about
9: playing great football, playing, you know, on ESPN against the University of Texas, against LSU, and getting a world-class degree. If that's what's important to you and your
14: family, come on. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. When you think of, and I know it's right there in the heart of it. you've never been on a campus, beautiful, picturesque campus, right there, Maine runs one way, Fannin runs the other, and you got them big Rhode Island gates that show you the next entrance, it's, it's big time, boy, ain't no question about it now. <laughs> when you're recruiting, Mike, you first recruit the transcript, correct?
9: Yes, sir, 100%.
14: Okay, okay, all right, all right. Now, Mike, you're open this week. You're open this week. And uh, first, all right, no, I'm going to share this week first. Slim, I'm going to tell you why I believe in this guy. When you can recruit, when you can get them, it ain't the X's and O's. That's a much maligned expression. It's the Jimmys and Joes. I never will forget. It's one of my favorite Mike Blumman stories. So I would call Bloom. Bloom. It's a kid, he over here, so and so and so. But sometimes he said, John, I'm in the airport, man. I got my computer, just a minute. Flip up the computer, go on rivals. And, woo, John, yeah, he can play. <laughs> 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 How's his grades? <laughs> I tell you. And I would, but I never will forget this, Um, uh, We were talking about tackles. And this, this, this was around 2012, 2013. And we were talking about the the, the 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 elite high school tackles in the country. And I was giving you my take and I asked for yours, and you said, I like that kid, Andrews Pete.
0: Ooh. I said,
14: ooh, yeah, he is big time. He you said, What do you think about it and John? I said, ooh, are you kidding me? I said, Bloom, that kid go to Ohio State, Oklahoma, Alabama, Notre anyway. Dame, anywhere in America you want to go. He said, Yeah, but I'm gonna sign him.
7: I'll never forget
14: that. <laughs> and, uh, and Bloom, I, I knew you could hunt then, but I said, nah, I mean, it, you know, to myself, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute now, Bloom, well, wait a minute, this can't go anywhere. You said, John, I'm going to sign Andrews Pete. Just watch what I tell And, uh,
13: get man, talk. Yeah.
14: Kudos yeah, to you, Mike. I knew that I had him because I had the
9: parents, I had them in love with some Stanford. And, uh, so his brother was at nebraska at the time when nebraska was still rocking and rolling and he had every place in america and i remember uh dick trickett from florida state being there at the all-star game right beside me waiting to talk to him and, uh so i mean yeah it was a great competition i knew i had the parents and i thought i had andrews and uh he let me know before he went on that espn special that day and made the announcement he texted me he's like don't worry coach i'm with you i was like yes
14: I know that's right, man. I know that's right, Bloom. You always could hunt, man. No question about it. And uh, and Mike, before we let you get out of here, man, I know you got to you. you open week this week, and uh, then you uh, you're in, you're you're in Florida for FAU, right? Yes, sir. All right, now Bloom, you are eight points away from a full game win streak at Rice University, man. You had U of H. I know. I get it. Accomplishments are a distraction. I get it. But but Blue, Rice ain't been in no bowl game. You got three, you got three dubs now, right? Yes, sir. All right.
13: Need six to be
14: bowl eligible, right?
13: Three bowls.
14: All right. Got 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 seven left? Eight. Seven. Got eight left. Seven. You're right. Seven. Got seven left. All right. All right. So look here, man. I don't know what bowl game it is, but you're going to a bowl game. And I want out
0: tickets.
14: Back. I know you're a guest Done. on my show. I want back. tickets. Done. Anything you want.
13: <laughs> out. Out. <laughs> back, coach. Out. Back. Yep. i will tell you, man. i
14: will telling you. i will tell you, blue and man. You're in the woods in two weeks. Now we come to La Tech. You You're in La Tech in two weeks. Two weeks all right all right all right go down there and handle business blue but one game one rep at a time one practice at a time one game at a time go to go to fau take care of business and i know you will mike thanks so much man thank Thank you thank
9: y'all it's an honor to be on the show once again happy birthday be the slim and and coach man it means the world you chose me to come on tonight thank you.
14: you It means the world to us, Mike. All the best to you, man. Thanks again, brother. Thanks,
13: brother. Man, go Rice. Go Rice. Go Rice out.
14: Go Rice out. Go Rice out. See you, coach. All right. That dude, flat coach, Mo You know, I got something here, man. Uh, I did a little digging. Uh, Rice University football since Bloom. Bloom took that job with David Shaw in 2011, okay? In 2011 as Rice, I mean as as Stanford's O-line coach, in 2011, 11 and 2. 2012, 12 and 2, 2013, uh, 11 and 3, 2014, 8 and 5, 2015, 12 and 2, 2016, 10 and 3, 2017, 9 and 5. Now, then he leaves and takes the head job at Rice in 2018. Stanford in 2018 went nine and four. But in 2019, we're talking Stanford now, four and eight. Mm -hmm. In 2020, now that was COVID. COVID year, Coach. It was COVID. Four and two. 21, three and nine. And as we speak in 2022, Stanford is two and three. You know what, Slim? david Shaw might be like the Jackson Five, as as it refers to Mike Bloomgren. I want you back.
13: I want you back.
14: <laughs> oh, how about Coach?
13: <laughs> I'm gonna miss you.
14: <laughs> okay. he might be like the Jackson
13: Five. I want you back, but Mike Bloomgren can flat coach up some old line, man. And we. Coach, wish- we- we watched so much film of Andrews Pete. I'm talking about you and me. Yeah. I feel like I recruited. him. <laughs> yeah, man. And and
14: he called that, man. He, he called that. He said, Yeah, I'm gonna sign Andrews Pete. Yeah, I'm gonna get it. Yeah, Mike, all the best, man. We sure appreciate it. Yes, sir. Okay. So coach,
13: so, so, uh, yeah. we gotta get to this. We gotta get to this trivia question. All right, okay. got to get to this trivia question. Nobody got the one from last week. The answer was Emmett Thomas bishop college and he was on a violin scholarship
14: that's right that's right and the the question what hbcu hall of famer went to his alma mater on a music scholarship and you're right and it was the great emmett thomas who went to bishop college uh on a music scholarship played the violin Slim, mm-hmm. but but had 58 career interceptions with a hall of fame career with the Kansas City Chiefs. and the trivia
13: question for this week is gramblings got four hall of famers who are they hit that
14: subscribe button and the notification button and we are gonna give you a shout out on show number too, 14.
13: you already four. know yeah man you yeah, already,
14: already know mm-hmm. mm-hmm. let's gentlemen. It's time once again for Slim to
13: make his picks. Pick them, Slim. Clarence McKinney and Texas Southern, my alma mater. They're hosting UAPB, coach. Now, these are two bad football teams, albeit Texas Southern's one and four, UAPB's two and three. I'm going to go ahead. I got the Tigers because, again, that's my school, but. What's your take coach who you got uh uh
14: if claren mckinney gonna win six games he's showing sure the hill better win this one so uh, i'm picking I'm, I'm gonna go for t i'm gonna go for uh texas southern uh pine bluff uh uh they can't throw rice at starving birds uh they, they ain't beat nobody but they beat american university slam pine bluff beat american university and they beat lane now that was early in September, but I bet you they won't be laying now. Ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, let me tell you something. Oh, shout arguably, out to Arguably, arguably the best job in coaching in college football. I don't care NAIA one D two FBS FCF. Yeah, Byron Brown. And the Lane Slim, the Division two Lane Dragons. Whipped one division, one double A Tennessee State. Big shout out, vibe Brown. Way to go,
13: man. Way to go. Now, uh, coach Alabama AM and M is hosting Grambling State. Colonel Maynard's on the road. Colonel Maynard's at home, taking on uh, Hugh Jackson. Grambling does not respect uh, Alabama A and M at all, coach. Like, he, at like both schools. Uh, at the end of the day. They it's too bad football them. team. It's too bad football team. Yeah,
14: and 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 you're right, Slim. Uh, Grambling people, I coached at Grambling, worked for Doug Williams at Grambling. Grambling don't respect Alabama AM, and and they're gonna walk up in there and hang a and hang a collar on Cornell Maynard at home. That's exactly what's gonna happen. Yeah, yes. As, bad, Jackson, as, yes. as bad as Grambling is, they'll beat Alabama A and
13: That's State, my yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. South Carolina State, Buddy Pew, one in three. They host FAMU coach. Big win uh, for FAMU beating Mississippi Valley State, um, thirty-two to two, 30 32 to twenty-two. What do you think, Coach? I mean, South Carolina State. Buddy Pugh took a thumping uh, on South on, to South Carolina, fifty to ten. But iron sharpens iron, Coach. I got I got Buddy Pugh winning this game. It's in Orangeburg,
14: Slim, and and uh, and I got Buddy Pugh. Buddy Pugh doing the same thing he did last year. Uh, iron sharpens iron. He played tough people early. And uh, and that thumping that he took, uh, I hope they got paid, but he come out of it healthy. But it's in Orangeburg Slim. And I'm going to tell you something. If you look at South Carolina State's schedule, they could be very well setting themselves up to do the same thing they did last year. The next toughest people on their schedule, is North Carolina Central, and they
13: have them in Orangeburg. I got so, Buddy Pugh. I got Buddy Pugh. Buddy Pugh, too, Coach. The hard part of the schedule is over. Yeah, yeah. Now, Coach, SWAC wins. SWAC wins versus MIAC wins. That's, SWAC, that's SWAC wins versus non-conference. swack wins. Twenty-three wins and thirty-three losses are currently in the SWAC. Collectively in the MIAC, it's eleven wins and seventeen losses.
14: Only only six schools in the MIAC play football, folks. Yeah, but Slim, but Slim, that right there speaks to the quality of football that's being played at these two uh, Division One, AA HBCU conferences. And Slim, the amazing statistic about that is is that in the SWAC, it ain't but three wins. Outside
13: the swag. Uh yeah, coach.
14: Grambling, Gramlin beat uh, the Northwestern. and Northwest yep. Louisiana.
13: Alcorn beat McNeese. Alabama yep. State beat Howard. Yep. And in the MIAC, uh Delaware State beat Robin Marsh. That's it. That's it. And man, man. <laughs> yes. And that's not saying much. And that ain't saying much. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. Now in the professional league. All in right. NFL, Coach. San Francisco. This is the extra, extra gravy? Is this the extra gravy? This is the extra gravy. Come this on, you know this is the hot sauce. You notice the hot sauce. You know. Hot hot sauce. Hot sauce. You know it. It. All right. All right. All right. So San Francisco's uh, Kyle Shanahan, San Francisco 49ers. They're two and two, coach. Seven sacks last week against the Rams. Uh they're at Carolina, who's one and three. Baker Mayfield and uh Matt Rule, they're both fighting for their jobs. You uh, you made a post on Facebook. Got a got got some traction. By the way, I ladies and gentlemen, it. if you haven't seen it, check out Coach Montgomery's Facebook. You suggested Baker Mayfield ought to go into coaching. He, you dead gum Skippy ought to go into coaching.
14: The uh, experiment uh, that was going to save Matt Rule's job and Baker Mayfield's career right now it ain't looking so good. In four games, Baker Mayfield done throw four. Only four touchdown passes. Slim, he he barely six feet tall. He's had 10, 10 knocked down in his like face. they're playing volleyball, Carolina. Yeah, in in the first four games. And so, Slim, yes, uh, if he has a mountain. And Slim, I ain't playing Hayden. I think he'd be a hell of a coach. Uh, he's known. He's well-connected. He's he got intelligent. Clouds. He's intelligent, yep. and he's a legend in Oklahoma. Slim, I still see him running out there. They beat Ohio State, and he Woody. planted that flag yeah. in the middle of Ohio State's field. That's the kind of swagger that would make him a good coach if he can convey that over to leading and developing young men. Baker Mayfield would be a hell of a coach, and he ought to. Because right now, all he's doing is is tarnishing
13: a that Heisman Trophy resume, yeah, that's it, Coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miami, the Dolphins are three and one, and they're in New York taking on the two and two Jets, Coach. <laughs> yeah. Big question in this matchup: Have we seen the last or two of Tua talking about Lord? Is this the end of the
14: road? Has he has he done like boys like boys to men? Oh, say, no, we <laughs> go! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't 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 quit your day job, but I get your drift. But uh, but yeah, Slim. Uh, I tell you what, Slim. That dude, uh, Doctor Amalu,
13: Doctor ben, Bennett, Bennett Doctor Bennett Amalu, yeah. And, the, the the character that Will Smith portrayed in the movie Concussion. That's right. He
14: says that he ought to hang it up and never step on the field. And Slim, I'm gonna tell you, man. Slim, did when in the first place. This the guy, the doctor who said shame on the physician. Right, the, shame. Doctor, the doctor that said it was okay f- to go into the game when he got hurt the first time when he staggered, they said it was his back that's a lie. Cat. And and he, he was concussed. Slim, they done fired him already, yeah. Okay, sure. so now he come back now. And on Thursday night football, he gets slammed to the ground. Slim, did you see the way that boy was convulsing? His arm was trimming. His hands was all.
13: It's called a fencing response position. It's when the arms and the fingers are in a fixed position, Coach.
14: Man, Slim. It's, yeah. yeah.
13: Yeah. he, I, I, I
14: yeah. And, and Slim, I'll tell you something, man. Before this is over, there's going to be some more people get, be in trouble. That could very well lose their job, and if I was a betting man, Slim, I'd put a little bit on it. You might could have very well seen the last of him in a football suit.
13: I don't doubt it, Coach.
14: And and I think he ought to quit. That's what. I, but who wins the games, Slim? I'm gonna go game? with the Young Guns, Coach. I got the Jets. You got the Jets.
13: J E T S. Jets. Jets. Jets.
14: You know it. Now, That was a big win over Pittsburgh that they got last week. Mm-hmm. But uh, I like for Teddy Bridgewater to go up in New York and rally up. They uh they're, they're too talented. They got the cheetah and Jalen Waddle. I I like I like Miami. Okay.
13: Atlanta is two and two. And they're a Tampa Bay coach. Tampa Bay is also two and two. An NFC South Division game pops. Proverbs 25 and 24 says it's better to live in a corner of the roof of your house. It's a little corner than to be in a house with an unhappy wife. Now, that's word to Tom Brady (laughs) because both him and Giselle Buchan have filed for divorce. They've got their own divorce lawyers, Mm -hmm. seeing individual courts. They're they're, they're looking looking at Splitsville, coach.
14: Ain't no question, man. Ain't no question. And and Slim, you know, we should have seen this coming uh, after the Super Bowl win, his last Super Bowl win when they beat the Kansas City Chiefs right there in Tampa. Mm. Uh, Giselle, Giselle was quoted as as asking her husband, don't you think you've done enough, okay? Is there any more that you think you need to accomplish? You Come on now, Slim. When Slim, when your wife start telling you that, dog, no. when your wife start telling you that, but, and then Slim, Slim, mm. As, as recently as early September, that woman was seen without her wedding ring on. He was, Yeah, you know, what's now? What's that? What What Jahim say? Then when you
13: put notice, that woman first. When, she, when you
14: notice she ain't wearing her ring
0: and she,
13: and start she starts playing little her. games,
0: <laughs> come,
13: come in, in, in late, late work. from work, you better put that woman first. <laughs> Man, yeah. I don't know, but who win that game? Who win that game? I got Tampa Bay, coach.
14: He's gonna Tampa take Bay. all
13: his frustrations out on the on the Hawks.
14: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Todd is gonna take that. Yeah, that's a good point. And I got to pull for Todd Bowl, man. Yeah, yeah. Got Todd Bowl. I got, got Todd Bowl. Yeah,
13: yeah, All right, coach. Now, uh in the FBS, in uh college football, the Red River rivalry. Oklahoma is three and two. Uh Texas is three and two. Brent Venables versus Steve Sarkeesian. In the past two weeks, Coach, Oklahoma has given up 509 yards of total offense. They Lose did that them. in the first game in the first They did that game the first at did that to K-State, Coach. They did that at K-State. And then when they played TCU, they gave up 668 yards of total offense. Both Texas and Oklahoma are two seasons away from the SEC and Africa. And if we if we look at it, coach, if we look at the Red River Rivalry, it is an undercard for uh for Saturday. Yeah, meaning yes, oh, yeah, meaning college game day is not going to be covering the Red River Rivalry. In fact, they're gonna be in Lawrence, Kansas, covering <clears throat> Kansas versus TCU. Cool. Right now, coach, it does not look like the Big 12 will be missing Oklahoma. Nor Texas. Nor Texas. And Slim,
14: Slim, I never thought I would live to see the day when there would be four ranked teams in the Big 12 and ain't neither one of them, Texas or Oklahoma. Oh. Kansas is 20. 19. Okay. Well, well, Kansas is ranked. Kansas State is ranked. 20. Uh, TCU is ranked. 17. And Oklahoma
13: and Oklahoma State is ranked. seven Sam. Yeah. <laughs> we, we did we did talked about we talked about this in our meeting, Coach. Uh which of these schools are are going to struggle. Uh, whether it be, uh, I'm gonna struggle uh, in the move to the SEC, whether it be OU or Texas, and why?
14: Ain't no question, Slim. It's gonna be the University of Oklahoma. Yeah, and and here's why. Look at the United States, okay? I ain't talking about no sports. Geographically, picture the United States, okay? I said it when the f- first started talking about it, entertaining the idea that Oklahoma would go to the SEC, I said, then Oklahoma football on location alone gonna struggle, okay? Mm-hmm. Slim, the geographics of it, even right now, Oklahoma must visit in recruiting Oklahoma is a Texas school, Words. okay? Okay, Billy Sim, Joe Washington, Greg Pruitt, Brian Bosworth, Daryl Hunt, George Cumbie.
13: Baker Mayfield. Jason Baker Hurts.
14: Mayfield, Thomas Lott. It's a Texas school. Oklahoma can't be Oklahoma without Texas. And they're saving grace right now, Slim. Thank mm. God. Texas A M ain't worth a damn.
13: Okay? And Texas is in Austin.
14: And, te- and, and well, Texas ain't got to visit, okay? But mm-hmm. now here's Slim. Here's the fact: you want you say well, which one gonna suffer? Well, Texas, they in Africa. Texas, Texas is Africa. It's all Texas, the black. Yeah. It's Slim. It's all the African American talent right here in the state of Texas. If Oklahoma could get whatever they wanted in Texas, they wouldn't have to go to them southern cities. But since they do, Slim, Montgomery, Alabama. Birmingham, Alabama. Huntsville, Alabama.
13: Mobile, Alabama. Alabama. Atlanta, Georgia. Macon, Georgia. Augusta, Georgia. Jackson, Mississippi. How do you say that, Coach? Biloxi. Biloxi. Yeah, thank you, Coach. Tupelo, Mississippi. Memphis, Tennessee. Columbus, Georgia. And Chattanooga, Tennessee. Slim and in all that. Boomer Sula don't mean
14: diddly squat, And so, and, and hey, Slim, Slim, Lincoln Riley saw that. He saw that way down the road. And when he saw that, looking at that, whoa, wait a minute. Hold up. And that's why he said, deuces, baby, deuces. And he got the hell on out to the West Coast where he could get all the African-American talent that he would ever need, and everybody who come to the West Coast got to come through his front door where he is King Shaka-boo-boo. He run things in L.A., and he was right. Slim, Slim, USC in the top ten, bruh. And hold up, and right now Oklahoma can't beat Kansas State nor TCU. Are you kidding me? So yeah. Hey, Slim, 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 they better get that straight. No, listen, Nebraska. hey, let me tell you something. Because they could very well morph into Arkansas.
13: Or Nebraska.
14: Or worse, Nebraska. <laughs> because because let me tell you something, partner, on location alone, yeah. on location alone, that was the difference. When Arkansas went to the SEC, okay. A Houston nut got it up and running, okay, and it looked like this boy Sam Pittman. But hey, it's a tough sale selling
0: Fayetteville,
14: Arkansas, in the South, in the SEC. And listen, for a kid that can go to LSU, Baton Rouge, Southern University, right across town. For a kid that can go to Alabama, Tuscaloosa, Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, 30, 30 miles down the road even Auburn it's in the sticks but you know what's 30 miles away from Auburn
12: Tuskegee
14: <laughs> thank you ain't no question <laughs>
13: yeah man <laughs> but coach man it was a pleasure being in the studio with you again you know always brother always yeah. hey, appreciate bro. you getting Mike blooming on that was, that was big coach four hey. all-line coaches in four, a row four all-line coaches hey
14: hey hey uh 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 we had uh, Big House, Howard Ballard. Yep. We had Chennis Berry. We had Ray Brown. And then tonight we had Mike Bloomberg, head coach of Rice University. Slim. My heroes have always been online
13: coaches. <laughs> <laughs> and
14: on that note, I'm out.
13: <laughs> Tell my mom love her, all right?
14: I do just that. Give my best to her
13: uh, last one
14: up in Dale City. And happy birthday, dog. Thanks, coach. And finally, no later than February 1, the University of Wisconsin is going to owe Paul Christ $11 million because they fired him. Shame on you. Paul Crist won 72% of his games. And he had a one loss record of 72 wins and 26 losses. And from 2015 to 2022, 10 and 3, 11 and 3, 13 and 1, 8 and 5, 10 and 4, 4 and 3 in the COVID year, and 9 and 4 in 2021. And you fire that man. That's some real bull. And hey, That's how
7: I see it. Six
14: o'clock. Straight up
13: and down. Man, that's how we see it. And that's how it is. Thank God. Thank God. We get to do this again. Thank God. Ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so, so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Homespun Sports. Sports talk with a twist just eat, just of down-home wisdom. Be sure to get that trivia question. At, y'all hit the comments, hit the like button, and subscribe. Thank you so, so much, Mike Groomlin, for being a part of our show tonight. We appreciate you so much, sir. We look forward to a healthy relationship with you in the future and to get you back on the show, because this was awesome. Y'all make sure y'all get that trivia question answered. Hit the likes, hit the comments, and subscribe to the channel. Coach. Hey, man. Slim, Slim, man. Before
14: we get up out of here, man, I want to give a big shout-out. You cannot overemphasize the importance of good high school coaching. And, Slim, your teammate at Texas Southern University, Jimmy Williams, coaching his ass off at Booker T. Washington High School in Houston, Texas. Slim, they had not won five games in five years. And as we speak, Booker T. Washington High School, 5-0. and oh. Five and oh, I'm so proud of it. Way to
13: way go, it go,
14: Jimmy Bean. Way to go, man. Way to go. Way to go. Where to go? Way to go. Way to go. Let's get up out of here, coach. Hey man, you ain't saying nothing but a word. What he said. Bye. All
0: right, dude. All right.